Hey guys, welcome to Magnum Broadcast, episode number 401. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first is The Week in Geek, where we gather up the week's top geek news and deliver it on to you. Next is usually the list with the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out uh, at some point. But uh, we're going to use this time to talk about maybe what we're watching or what we're going to watch in this quarantined uh, time. Should we call it, uh, we could still call it, oh, we'll call it the Q. Oh, the Q. Oh. The Q. Uh, then we follow we that should up write that a- down because we're not going to remember the next time. Probably true. Uh, and then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week we're having something of a, a monthly look back, but it's a past couple monthly look back. We're going to be looking back at some of the comic books that we read uh, over the past couple months since we haven't had too much of a chance to, to do a list. Um, or not a list. A look back. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the Robin 80th Anniversary Special, Strange Adventures number one, The Last God number one, and Doctor Strange number one, uh, as well as Fantastic Four Grim Noir number one. I don't know how to spell Q. Uh, Q is spelled Q-U-E-U-E. So yeah. yeah that there you go. That's Q. All right. Hey, Paul, you, you did a great job with that. You know what? You deserve a drink. I do deserve a drink. And this is a drink that uh, I'm drinking a bunch of beers uh, this week that uh, we also, uh, as a family, you know, just my wife and I, uh, cook with. So this is, uh, you know, kind of a Cellarade in that so much that it's beer not only good for drinking, but also cooking. Um, So I'm starting today off with uh, Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. This is a can-crafted pale ale. And it says it's also can-conditioned. Ooh. Which uh, I looked up online real quick. I know I could have just asked John, and I'm sure John will tell me I'm wrong. Um, all that means is they take it, and it's kind of almost, the beer is almost flat at that point, you know. And then they just let it, you know, kind of sit for a couple weeks in a warm spot at the uh, brewery and uh, let the yeast start doing its thing. Well, well, to uh, just do it. And then when the CO builds up too much, the yeast die automatically, so that way you don't need to worry about cans exploding. I don't know if it's true. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I don't really taste the can conditioning. It's a oh, you shouldn't. light. Right. <laughs> okay, good. It's a light, um, nice pale ale, and it's perfect for making a beer and cheese soup. So if you're looking for a beer and cheese soup recipe, go someplace else because I don't have one for you. Uh, but pick up Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale and use that as your uh, beer, the beer that the recipe will call for. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale's a, a classic. You know, it's the same beer that they've been making for, I think, almost 40 years. And I don't think they should change it. I think it's uh, when you're looking for cool. just a nice Pale Ale, well, there you go. It's of finest quality. It says so right on the can. And purest ingredients. Yeah. I mean, that's a beer that taught a lot of people that they like hops. Because at that point, 30 years ago, the biggest craft breweries were Boston Beer Company, Sam Adams, and Sierra Nevada. Like, they're the two that pivoted away from basically just making pilsners 
and mass producing them in 30 packs. They're the ones that said, hey, we can make something a little bit better. And you know what? Sierra Nevada is always a nice price point. Uh, this comes in a six-pack. It's pale ale. And if you're like, oh, I'm not an IPA IPA guy, I don't know if I, I don't like the hop bitterness, but you want to try to get into it, maybe pick up this and see if you can handle even this amount of hops. And then, you know, if you want to go a little deeper, you can. And if you don't, and if you're like, oh, too bitter, too hoppy, this isn't for me, then cool. Like, you wasted, what, nine ninety nine, And, you know, Paul, it's a big deal. Paul, I imagine there is an early episode oh, yeah, of this podcast this. where you were like, ah, too, too, too bitter, exactly. too hoppy. Yeah, that's why, you know, this is a good barometer. This is a good, like, hey, dip your toe in the water. See how, see how it feels. Too hoppy? Go back to go back to stouts, man. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with There's that. No Porters and no stouts. That was our that was our shit. Yeah, no shame in that. There's plenty of great porters and stouts out there. There's a world full. <clears throat> you could go out and drink those kind of beers for the rest of your life and not like repeat another beer because that's how many of these breweries are out there. Who knows how long they'll last with this going on, the quarantine going on? But you know, while it's going, life is pretty good. <laughs> Life is pretty good. Uh, yeah. And uh, my beer is its pretty good. Uh, I'm drinking from Southern Tier Brewing Company. This is a new beer and a new milkshake line that they're doing. And this is their Vanilla Whip. New England style, um, New England style IPA that uh, has nice, just a, it, it kind of tastes like you dipped your like orange creamsicle into your beer and kind of took a, a lick off of it. Um, it's you know it's got the lactose. It's a nice, smooth, enjoyable. The vanilla's there, but it's not like beating your you know beating your tongue to death. Um, it's a nice, easy drinking beer, and I think it's like I think it's like twelve ninety nine for four pack Tall Boy, six and a half percent. It's it's a nice it's a nice drinking beer. I I grabbed it because I thought it'd be fun to talk about it on the show. Um, but like it's I wouldn't actively go it's, and buy it and again. It's not fun. It's it's nice. It's a nice it's a nice beer. But I mean, it's almost kind of bargatory at this point. There are so many better beers that you know. I, Sloop Juice Bomb. Dollar less, more beer, better beer. You know, a dollar more, I can grab Billy eighteen watt. Like, there's so many other beer priced around the same as this that are better. But this is good. It's a bargatory beer. If I went in and this is one of the only things they had on tap, I'd probably get it. Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a beer from a brewery that I actually went to a few days ago. Um, it's actually on the way to or from my girlfriend's house, and I'm kind of Ooh. really digging it. Ooh. Um, yeah, bad time to start a relationship, guys, when you're uh, <laughs> in like quarantine. a quarantine stay-at-home because nobody's allowed to go out anywhere unless it's for essentials, which, you know, apparently beer is considered to be an essential. Um, and this is from Castle Church Brewing here in Orlando, Florida. Um, and it's actually a 
brewery that on Sundays and Wednesdays offers a Lutheran service in the morning. Um, and all of their beers have, you know, religious inspired names. I'm going to pull up my on tap quick just so I can uh, pull them up. But uh, I picked up three crawlers and two bottles when I was there. Um, it was just one of those things. I was driving past it the other day and I saw that there were cars out front. So uh, I went in and I was like, oh, you know, brewery, why not? Um, luckily they were open for takeout beer only. Uh, so, you know, I, I picked up a bunch of stuff, not only to support themselves, but, uh, you know, to support me because it's long, boring days when you're just stuck in your apartment. Um, but now I have untapped open. Uh, so far I've had their Here I Stand Oatmeal Stout, uh, which I put at a 3.75 out of 4, or 5 on untapped. Um, then I also had their Indulgences Double IPA, which I put at a 4.25 out of 5. Uh, their Means of Grace IBA, which is a Cascadian Dark Ale, which I put at a 3.5 out of 5. Everything's been really good. And I would say their Stout and Double IPA could easily stand up against something like Founders Breakfast Stout or Founders Double Trouble. Like They're solid beers. And even the Means of Grace Dark Ale, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great, solid, drinkable beer. Nice, roasty, malty taste on it. Um, I've enjoyed all those. and But what I'm drinking from that today is their Bourbon Barrel Aged X Nihilo. It is a sour cherry ale aged in barrels. Uh, sitting at 10% ABV, just comes in a regular big 22-ounce bottle. And it's fantastic. Like, right on that first kind of sniff was you're putting your mouth up to the glass, you get that nice bourbon, vanilla, cherry uh, and that's just a nice tart on the back end. I think the bottle was maybe 10 bucks. I can't remember because I got three 32-ounce crawlers and then two bottles. Um, this and a Brute IPA, which I don't know if I'm going to get to tonight because I'm kinda, I've am kind of. i been trying to pace myself with the drinking a little bit more because I've been drinking a lot since I'm stuck in my apartment. But this is definitely going to be a place that I go to a bit more. Yeah, nice. Uh, are you are you going to go to the Lutheran uh, services? I most likely will. Will not. Um, I'll be going after hours for the beer. Uh, but yeah, they have a pretty decent looking list. And it was just kind of one of those things. Like I wasn't familiar with it before I walked in there. I didn't know what they had offered. So I was literally just sitting at a card table that they had set up by their front entrance to say like, okay, you know, we'll take a crowler of this. I'll take a crawler of this. Hey, you know, I'll take one of those bottles. Uh, I was just basically thinking out loud. And then at the end, I was like, oh, I guess I'm buying a lot of beer, which is good because I have nothing to do. So I'm just sitting at home uh, drinking and playing video games. So let's go out to the news garden, guys. Pick up some news? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the, the, I think on the brighter side of all of this is like uh, you have Bob Iger coming out and um, forgoing his salary to uh, to help with all the un- the non-working uh, Disney employees and a lot of executives taking a pay cut to also help with that. Um, and then they also announced that they just bought like 26 acres behind Magic Kingdom. Uh, so I guess this is the perfect time to buy. Yeah, I mean, there's. Did they also not... buy Formula One. I'm sorry, what was that, Chris? Sorry, I mean, they've also announced that in this time that 
they're halting all ongoing construction. So the Star Wars Galaxy Star Cruiser resort that they were building, they're stopping that. All the work that they're doing in Epcot, they're stopping that. Um, if it was something that was in like in progress, they're halting it just to save some of that money. But if it's something that was near finishing, like the Ratatouille ride that they're building at Epcot, that they're going to finish just because like it's close enough that they can keep going. But Disney's still paying their cast members through all this, which is a great move on their part. And I crunched some of the numbers a little bit and they have 70,000 on-site employees. Um, And the minimum Disney wage is $12 an hour because they pay more than the standard Florida minimum wage, which is seven twenty-five. So at that point, like if you figure on average, you have a lot of people that are part-time, you have people that are full-time. It works out to being about um, 17 hours a week per cast member, which for one day of working is $14,280,000. And they've been paying their cast members since everything shut down in the middle of May. I'm sorry, middle of March. So it's at least two weeks of them still continuing to pay people that they're not necessarily seeing any kind of return on. Uh, So they're at almost $200 million in payroll. And, you know, they don't have money coming in from the theme parks. They're not making money at the box office. In fact, you know, they're shuffling stuff off onto Disney Plus, like Onward and um, rumors are now, you know, Black Widow or Mulan might come right out to streaming depending on when everything clears up. So that's huge. Yeah. I wonder if uh, they're, they're seeing that as bumping subscriptions from uh, on Disney Plus from all of this, you know, or if, you know, it's kind of leveled out. And I wonder after uh, Frozen 2 came out on Disney Plus if they saw a big bump, uh, you know, bump in that to make it worth their while to actually move it right to Disney Plus. Maybe it's or, it's possible. Plus two at this point now they probably have more people signing up because it's starting to launch in other territories as well now. Like it's now alive in um, the UK, Australia, and I remember seeing a thing just yesterday or the day before saying it just launched in India. So on the plus side, you know, there's probably something coming in you know from those routes. And they still have the money that people pay to be annual pass holders, and they're just tacking on all the missing time to the end of the annual pass, right? Yep. Yeah, basically, if you signed up for a one-year pass in January, since everything's been closed for, you know, the last month and a half as of now, like, you're going to be getting another month and a half, so you're not going to have to worry about renewing until, you know, March next year. Okay. So, you know, and they have money on hand. It's not like... I'm wonder, you know, sometimes you kind of wonder, like, okay, if I had, uh, you know, fourteen billion dollars in the bank, just earning, you know, let's say ten percent, ten percent interest, isn't that a hundred and I might not be doing uh, my math right, but isn't that like a hundred and forty million dollars in interest? Like, just, you're the economist, Paul. I have no I idea. So, like, you know, because money can make just makes money on it you know it can start just rolling like that where you can just make money money makes its own money at a certain point 
So times point one equals oh one point four. Uh, so yeah, so that's ten percent. So that was one point four billion dollars. So. But anyways, yeah. Sometimes it, it's nice to see, and sometimes I've these big companies. I'm like, oh, it's really cool that they're doing that. They're paying their hourly workers. But is that also kind of like them hedging against if they didn't? Would would there be more ire from you know the political realm? To you know, oh well, they're not. There's not enough sick time for these kind of workers. There's not enough social safety nets for these kind of workers. So is it fun, like just trying to get ahead of the game and be like, no, 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 everything's cool here, dude. Everything's cool. No need, no need to interfere with what. I think it's them trying to help the people that live paycheck to paycheck because they know that's a lot of their workers. Yeah, and honestly, before even everything shut down, like as soon as there were the first, you know. Uh, breakout cases of Corona in North America, one of the first things that they actually wound up doing at the parks was they released all of their Disney college program people. So basically, you know, college students that are here for internships, they kind of cut them just like in the middle of the day, the word came out. It's like, Hey, you know what? We're letting all these people go. And a lot of them walked off the jobs at the parks. Cause it's like, well, you know, why not? And this was, back in the middle of March where it was still kind of like, Oh, what's going to go on? What's happening even more so than it is now. And airports were starting to shut down. This is right when things were starting to kind of ramp up. Um, so they've been kind of taking steps to be there to support their, you know, day-to-day workers, uh, like the day-to-day cast members as much as possible. So, I mean, it's good to see, the higher ups in the company kind of taking that stand because yeah, obviously like Bob Iger doesn't need to make like his like $20 million, you know, for his, this month of work, like he'll, he'll be fine. Um, I just think it's kind of sad that you're not seeing other people step up like this, but you know, who's to say they're not doing something like that. We're just not knowing about. That's some good news, though. You know, it's good that people are, that they're doing the right thing and taking care of their people. Uh, some kind of scary news over from China is that they have closed down all their movie theaters again. Because uh, apparently they're afraid that a second wave of COVID-19 is going to be hitting. So they're kind of loosening up their social distancing quarantine guidelines. But then again, they're keeping things kind of tight and you know, uh, here in the States, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of looking at Italy and China like, okay, how long did it take for things to kind of start getting back rolling? And, you know, even as la- last week where we're like, oh, Wuhan province, this is good news. Like where it started, there oh, people are going back out, you know, it's going to business as usual is kind of going back there. And then all of a sudden you hear this that, uh, well, not quite so fast. So, and that's a big thing about whether or not more of these movies are going to go streaming because you know that's a huge market at least if the Chinese theater market was open maybe these movies would get released there still because a lot of uh, the big motion pictures are released in China first to get ahead of the piracy <laughs> and then released you know, uh, worldwide you know and then, then to the states and everything so um, yep yeah, so I, I movie theaters are still Closed. 
And I know, Chris, you wanted to talk about Diamond Comics. Yeah, because speaking about people not being able to get their entertainment, um, we kind of talked about this on episode number 400, where even comic book deliveries were kind of up in the air for this week. Um, and it did come out that Diamond has shut down operations. Uh, and part of that's not just because stores are closed or honestly, some of them are even permanently closing just because there's such a small profit margin on selling comics and like the collectible stuff. Um, but since diamond doesn't have money coming in right now, they're actually unable to pay to distribute everything. So they literally don't even have the means to send out all the comic books. So in a show of solidarity with the, you know, local comic book stores, the big companies like DC and Marvel Comics have actually not even released their comics that were supposed to come out today because we're recording this Wednesday, April 1st. Uh, they're not even releasing those books digitally. That way, when eventually they do have a chance to come out, people will still go to their stores to pick that up. That's, I'm confused by the business model because I don't understand how Diamond doesn't have money coming in because don't stores have to pre-order the books like three months in advance like that's what the whole preview catalog is about well i mean they order those books but i think a lot of that has to do with like the printing and um how the books will wind up being distributed and allocated i don't think they actually wind up paying for those books until they're delivered because i know there were times when i would be at don's and he would literally have to be like signing a check for the books as they were like being brought off the fedex truck doing cash on delivery with the store now the stores aren't open so they can't deliver them therefore they can't make any can't get any of that money back that they're already out if they bought those books from marvel and dc and again that's just you know ancillary evidence like it's it might not be that way for everybody you know it might just be like how some stores work honestly you know i haven't been to i don't want to say a physical comic book store in years because i you know, go every now and then to pick up my trays or stuff. Um, but I haven't gone weekly to a comic book store. I've never been to the bigger ones down in New York City, like yeah. the uh, Mid-City Comics or um, the places, you know, uh, I'm not even sure what would be the largest comic book, you know, seller store, or, you know, physical store here in the United States. But I'm guessing someplace in New York City or out in, like, California. Probably. But yeah, it's a weird time and there's already a lot of talk about like how this event might even change how comics are distributed because if stores can't even stay open are we going to continue to see the monthly comic books coming out now are they going to move to digital only are they going to do what they do over in the UK where everything comes out as kind of like an anthology book where you buy one volume and it's got, you know, your Superman, your Batman, your Wonder Woman in it for the month. I mean, that sounds like the Walmart model. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what they're doing with the DC, uh, 80 page things that they were putting out for like five bucks. And um, you might see also other distributors coming in and, you know, or Marvel or DC, distributing their own books because everything goes through diamond. They shut down all the other smaller guys that if you want to do this, you got to go through us. And now if they can't 
do it, somebody else might step up and they might distribute Marvel or they might distribute Image and Dark Horse. So they, you know, it's something something like that could happen as well. And it's weird to think about this, but if you know Marvel just came out with the like, hey, here's our five dollar X Men book for the month, and it had you know like three or four X Men books in it. I don't know. I might be more likely to pick that up, but I, you know, it probably wouldn't be five bucks. But if they're able to put like enough good stories together that I'm interested in. And, you know, like a collection, I'm, I don't know, that might be something worth checking out instead of just buying everything individually, like, month to month. I don't know. It might feel like you're getting kind of more of your money's worth. You were enjoying those Walmart books. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't picked up any more since, like, the first, like, two or three, I think, I got. Um, but it was it was a great buy, you know? I mean, a lot of, like, a lot of it was reprint stuff, you know? I think the Batman one had... Like the Terrifics number one, which we hated in it. Like the Superman one had something from Superman Batman, like number four in it from like eight years ago. But it's it, it was definitely like a worthwhile book. I heartily recommend them if you got kids or even just like a passing interest in comics, you know? Yeah. Strange times, guys. Strange times. It's, I mean, it's going to be difficult for everyone to recover from this. And uh, even getting those uh, stimulus checks, you know, they're going to help. But, I mean, are they in the long run really going to help? You know, my wife works. Yeah, because it's not like we can't go to the comic book store and buy comic books with that stimulus check. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to go out to a bar and, you know, close it down because we're not allowed to stay at that bar. You know, it's, we're not going to take a brewery tour right now with that stimulus money. You know, I'm just thinking of the things that, you know, that but, help the small businesses. But even right even now. at that point right now, that stimulus check, I'm going to probably have to count on for my rent for May. Yeah. You know, like that's, oh, yeah. that's where I'm at right now because, yeah, you know, to pay rent today, no problem. But if I have another month of not working... I mean, that's that's devastating, you know, because I've, I've got enough food and groceries right now. I've got enough stuff in the bank to, you know, get me through for the rest of the month. But once April's over, like, if everything's not back open and I'm not back at work, like, I'm, I'm in a difficult spot. And then if you do go to back to work, you're also then having to recoup everything that you'd been saving, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's a difficult thing to do lickety split, you know, snap your fingers. You can't just automatically put that hundred or thousands of dollars back into your checking account automatically. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be very tough for everyone. And, and I think that's more what the stimulus check is there to do is to buy groceries to, to pay, <laughs> you know, pay your car insurance, pay your car bill, pay your, mm-hmm. you know, your mortgage, your, you're what have you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that companies that you never thought, you know, diamond, you never thought would have financial problems, having financial problems. And it's not even, they're only going today is the day. They're not like collecting, (laughs) 
collecting money. And it's like just one time where they were like, oh, we can't do it this week. You know, it's it's bizarre. Not bizarre, but it's it's strange. Yeah, that they're running on such a thin cash flow. That they don't have something, you know, war chests ready to go to see them through a downturn. Yeah. Like, you, you know, after the Great Recession, you would think that, you know, the companies would kind of build up cash reserves to handle a three-month slowdown, a six-month slowdown, a year slowdown, you know, uh, depending on how big of a company, how much cash flow you need to keep going uh, to make payroll. Because, you know... Uh, market liquidization is great and all, but it doesn't, you know, you need cash to make payroll. Like, you know, assets, everything that else the company has that, you know, contributes to their wealth, ultimately doesn't matter when you need to make payroll. Um, yeah. That sounded like an account person that said again. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, so that's going to take us into uh, our queue, right? The queue. Our next beer, because after all that, I need Uh-oh. a drink. Well, I, I'm ready yeah. to go on my next beer. I don't know about anyone else. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I am. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still finishing from, my uh, Portland, Maine. This is Lone Pine Brewery, and this is their OJ. This is a double IPA, eight point one percent, New England IPA, very juicy with a nice little kind of. Sp- spice on the back end, like a peppercorn kind of uh, orange citrus thing. Um, really, really nice. This also was canned on the uh, 30th, so it's only two days old. Um, it kind of has that kind of fresh green hops kind of flavor to it. I uh, I have another can of it. I might let it sit for maybe a week and see how it goes with that, but... It's a really, really nice beer. It's one of the first times it's been uh, we've been able to get it this fresh into our area. And, um, no, I like it. I would definitely check more things out from uh, Lone Pine Brewing Company. Lone, Lone Pine? Pine? Huh. Like back to the like, future. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Back to the future. Uh, that's what I, when I texted you guys today what I was going to be drinking, and I texted Lone Pine, I thought the same thing. For a second there, I thought you were singing the Jurassic Park theme. They're very similar. Are they? Are they all? Uh, that's not John Williams, is it? Back to the Future. I don't think Back to the Future is. I, I thought it was Huey Lewis in the news. Did Back to the Future? They did. They did a single for the for it. Oh, Power of yeah. Love. Oh, that was actually Alan Silvestri, who we may know from doing, like, all of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't have known that until you said all I would have known that until I looked it up. <laughs> great. Chris. Yes, I'm Chris. What are you drinking? Is it also great? Uh, I'm still drinking the rest of my bourbon barrel aged uh, cherry sour. I've... I've emptied out the bottle, but I still have probably about half a glass left. But next time we talk about uh, the next beer, I'll probably be on to my next one. Hello? Yep. You're here there. Okay. I hear no, I didn't know if you... H-cherry. 
Yeah, I didn't know if you you didn't say anything, so I thought I had dropped again. You, oh, we didn't know if you were. Asking, you did drop, you but did, you're still recording on your oh, end, and we just go, uh huh, okay. Yes. No, I, I I'll probably move on to my next beer once I finish this one because ah, uh, you're still drinking that. Yep. Oh, guess what, Chris? I'm drinking something else. That's fine. That and that's okay. We, we don't need to talk about. That. <laughs> no, go for it. I'm just <laughs> giving a shit because you're like that's nice. <laughs> didn't mean like that but uh big ditch uh brewing right here in buffalo new york uh this is their american ipa this is their hay burner uh this is also one of those the beers that uh, my wife really likes so and it's also a decent price for for a beer and it's a nice drinkable uh american style ipa uh, like what i was saying about the sierra nevada where hey if you're not sure you're into ipas if it, you think they're going to be too bitter or too piney, you know, try their pale ale and give it a shot. If you're looking for an introduction into the juicy side of IPAs, the East Coast IPAs, Hayburner isn't going to be a bad deal. It's not so much a citrusy IPA, but it's definitely a melony, smooth IPA. I definitely get a lot more melon than citrus, uh, but, you know... That kind of marmaline, marmalade, marmaline, mar, mar, you know what? The, the orange, like yeah, marmalade, yummy. marmalade, marmalade kind of bitterness a little bit, but mostly just a smooth melon kind of flavor. Um, very easy drinking, good at a ball game. Uh, yeah, and a, a nice porch sipper. Yeah. So. Uh, Hayburner is the best-selling craft beer in Buffalo. Oh, and it, we finally beat out blueberry wheat from uh, uh, yeah. Ellicottville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Um, and this is the beer that you, like, people come into my store and they're like, do you have Hayburner? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't like IPAs. I hate IPAs, but I like this. And you hear that from more people, and I sell more Hayburner than almost anything else. Uh, for the, probably the past three years that I've been running the beer, my beer shop, um, it is almost 98% my number one selling craft beer every week. Uh, rare occasions, um, there were three weeks in, uh, September, October where pumpkin outsold it, but it's usually just weird one-offs like that that'll kind of peak and and beat it uh when ellicottville put out their blueberry pancake uh maple pancake beer that beat it for two weeks like but the rest of the year it's hay burner i was expecting you to say like two days like the griddle pancake thing it held off for two whole weeks uh it's Ooh. it's just now and it's been out for i think two months now it's just now has dropped down probably to like my number it's probably like my number six selling craft people are still going to the store even there you know it is it is an essential item you know it is one I, I think it is there's a lot of people stuck at home that need a need a nice beer or a stiff cocktail i'm not stuck at home i'm going to work every day but i still i find myself needing a drink more now than even before. Before, I was kind of cutting back on my drinking, and I, I was even talking about it on the podcast. Hey, maybe I'll go low, low alcohol, maybe no alcohol, 
pick up some of this hot water stuff. But now, they're just messing with all this stuff and just going out every day and be like, is today the day I get it? <laughs> today? Like, freaking Russian roulette. I'm like, I might as well drink while I can. <laughs> well, I hear you. No, I, I have to say, though, I mean, this is my first beer since we recorded the podcast last. I think Caitlin's had more beer, and she, she's just working from home. But I've had a couple sips of her stuff because she's drinking sours that maybe I haven't had. I brought home for her. But, yeah, the first full beer, this is uh, – it's been a week. Wow. It's hard to not just sit around and drink because it's, it's what I like to do, not to sound like an alcoholic, but – I'd like to try and sample different things, and it just happens to be beer. Like, I think I would still rather drink lots of beer than drink lots of soda pop. Like, I know they're neither one of them is probably great for you, but I feel like <laughs> beer is probably a little bit healthier. Um, but it's just a lot of sitting around and you know not doing anything, and now I just have this nervousness on top of it that's not driving me to drink because you know i've been having like one of my crawlers or again like this bottle like one a day which is you know on the days that we do the podcast i usually wind up drinking like three or four beers just because that's what we wind up doing so i feel like it's just something that i'm maybe focusing on more than normal because i'm not doing anything else like i'm not going to work I'm not, you know, doing running around and then coming home and playing games or watching Netflix and having a beer. Like, I'm literally sitting at home and popping a beer open, like, because that's, that's it. That's weird. Yeah, it's a bizarre time that we are living through. Uh, But uh, in this bizarre time, is there something that's on your queue, your, your watch list that you're ready to watch or something that you started watching, Chris? Um, I feel like I need to watch this Tiger King thing that everyone's talking about. Tiger King is pretty great. Uh, It's, I mean, it's everywhere on all kinds of social media. So I should probably check that out. But I actually have been going back and rewatching The Good Place. Um, In this, you know, again, stressful, uneasy time. You just want to have something that makes you feel good, you know that that popcorn viewing. Um, and right now, for me, that's the good place. Like the office is usually my go-to, uh, but since the good place just wrapped up a few months ago, it's good to go back and kind of knock it all out again. Uh, it's just a fantastic show, and you know you feel good watching it. Did you see... Uh, it's about shit people becoming less shit people. Yeah. Was it 14, 14 years since the launch of The Office? 15. 15, yeah. And uh, did, did you watch that interview with John Krasinski interviewed uh, Stephen, uh, Steve Carell? Steve Carell? I have not watched it. I saw it was posted, um, but it's on my list of things to get to eventually, and... I say that not like somebody who's busy, but you know, I've been, I mean, I've been playing a lot of uh, Match of the Gathering Arena and playing a lot of World of Warcraft, watching The Good Place. He hit you know? Mystic or Mythic. He hit Mythic in that. 
Magic the Gathering Arena. Yeah, that's that's big that's for me. Someone that plays pretty casually. I mean, I don't know if I can say that because I play it every day. I don't know if that's still considered casual, but yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get around to it. Why, John? Is that what you've been watching? No, we finished. I'm the we finished that last week. Uh, but uh, something that my wife and I have been kind of in the same vein is what you're watching, The Good Place. Uh, a few months ago, we started watching uh, Taskmaster, which is a a British show. And um, I think we're on season nine now. Um, it's on YouTube. I think the first five seasons are on YouTube and every week they release a new episode to continue it on. But we had been tracking them down on online and we stream them online. But um, so on Taskmaster, you have five British comedians that have performed a crazy tasks. And then the, on the show, you have them sitting on a dais with the comedian Alex Horn, who comes up with the crazy tasks for them to do. And then basically the judge, who's the taskmaster, uh, which is uh, Greg Davis, who's another British comedian, who watches it and judges them and gives them points for how they perform the tasks. And the tasks are as insane as, um, you know, take these three yoga balls and put them on top of the yoga mat on top of uh, this hill. And you have these people, like, trying to carry them up. They're kicking them up. The balls are rolling down. Somebody's smart enough to ask somebody to help carry one up. And then you have a guy that walks up to the top of the hill, grabs the yoga mat, walks down, and then puts the balls on at the bottom. Like, it's interesting because it's comedians who sometimes outthink what the task is. And then they watch it back and comedians are reacting to, well, that's not fair. He can't do that. It's like, no, we never said you couldn't do that. And it's kind of a, a really fun show that it's not often that I watch something that has me like laughing hysterically out loud. And this show does that uh, quite a bit. And we're nine, nine seasons in, we'll watch one or two episodes a night. And um, no, it's, it's a, just a really great, hilarious time Paul what are you watching uh, Kate and I are you, Kate's, I've been watching this uh, YouTube series for a while uh, and Kate's now really gotten into it in fact we're watching it basically every time we sit down to eat together and that's Bon Appetit their test oh, kitchen. Yeah. Uh, they're t- it's a great great series uh, right now they're also They've only produced two videos so mar- or released two videos so far of them all being stuck at home. And they're recording little videos. Uh, they've only done two so far because they're still getting, like, posting things from their backlog. Like, they're, they tape these things, like, months ago. They're talking about, like, an episode to release, and they're talking about it being, like, January. Like, it's, like, and then the very next video you watch that comes out, they're talking about it being like three days ago. So it's like the release schedule, how they get it edited, it's all up in the air, it's all kind of crazy. But uh, just these, these guys are all chefs, they uh, prepare dishes, they do um, you know, for the Bon Appetit uh, man- magazine, they actually have to prepare the actual recipes, so they do a lot of test recipes over and over again, like they've made like published that recipe in the book they've made like 47 different varieties of 
chocolate chip cookies before they say this is the Bon Appetit chocolate chip cookie. Like this is the way that we found to do it. So it's really fun uh, now to see that at home, and they've even mentioned it. It's like, yeah, we get spoiled when we're developing recipes because we don't have to do our own dishes <laughs> at the test kitchen. Like, like I'm trying to do develop recipes here at home now uh, for the magazine still because work still has we're still going to publish it and still got to get done. And uh, I look over to my sink and it's piled up and it's and I look around and I realize the only person here to do them is me. So get ready for a lot more recipes coming out in these magazines that call for like one to two dishes instead of being like, oh, in a second bowl, mix your dry ingredients and then in a third bowl, mix these ingredients. Like we're going to we might cut back on that because it is we don't realize how big of a hassle it is when we're not doing it themselves. Um, also, they had a uh, so that was just their video about, you know, cooking at home now and their new experience about that. And then uh, this past episode that we watched, just watched today was uh, about making coffee, <laughs> you know, just like how they make coffee at home. And some of the people get really snooty about it with weighing the grounds and having, pers- you know, temping their water to the precise temperature and timing out the pour and everything. And the other person's like, I don't like coffee. But I do like this coffee liqueur and bourbon trace buffalo whiskey, uh, you know, uh, bur- buffalo wor- bourbon. And uh, so I just pour a little bit of this, pour a little bit of that, some heavy cream on top. That's a great coffee drink. And since, you know, we're all stuck at home, nothing's stopping me from drinking first thing in the morning. So I'm like, I think I found my on, on my counter upstairs is a jar of cabbage that is fermenting into sauerkraut because I enjoy watching it's alive with Brad Leone from, 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 uh, Bon Appetit. So yeah. And actually, I think I could actually go up and try my sauerkraut. uh, Now I think it's been fermenting for like two weeks now. Wow. Hey, uh, get their water. What? You get some water, some water. It's, it's it's fun. Uh, everybody's very charismatic. Uh, everybody's very likable. They you know they know what they're doing. They have great personalities. They're kind of funny and quirky. I love the interplay between them all when they're actually playing off of each other. Like even the co- even since they're all alone in their own houses, like when they're describing how to make coffee, they, there are subtle jabs at well not jabs but little things like. I know Morocco would tell you you got to do this, but honestly, you know. It's just coffee. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because, like, um, uh, Good Mythical Morning, which is another po- uh, YouTube show that I watch, like, they are doing stuff from home because they've shut down their studio, but they have enough stuff in the bank that they can, they're intersplicing between stuff they did in the, the, the bank and then kind of current shows. Um so it's interesting, yeah. It's I mean, it, this pandemic has hit every it's, it's everybody. It's hit YouTube shows, comic book companies, you know, Disney. Late night yeah. TV. Since since we're talking about uh, YouTube stuff, uh, I follow Alton Brown on YouTube, and he's been doing what he calls the pantry raid, where it's like once a week now, but he's coming up with a recipe for something using things that you just might have sitting around. Like he's done 
on like a cookie recipe. He's done a mixed drink. He's done like how to make like homemade popcorn. Uh, and it's Elton Brown. So you just like watching it and it's kind of there to help you get through this crazy, terrible time. Cause yeah, other people are going through it. Like this food network chef that I've always, you know, love following. Like, yeah, he's struggling and trying to make content too. It's yeah. When you know, kind of, it kind of brings everyone you, together. You can no longer have 10, 15 people in that small kitchen with you filming you while you're preparing this dish or having other people prepare it and then having you eat it in front of them. Like, man, that, that doesn't, that doesn't work. You can't do that. But, uh, I think what we always can do is a dramatic reading. And now, a dramatic reading from Green Lanterns, number 36. Paul's ready. Page, page 50. You may be Superman plus Martian Manhunter by way of Selena Gomez now, but I took apart your clone copies. It was God. It was nasty. On the upside? So weird. Yeah. When you started doing that, I was like, wait a second. I already looked at that. That's supposed to be a woman. Did Paul now remember how people talk when he was reading that? Nope. Do I do it? Do no, I do I another one? Take, take John, two. Hit me with your hit me with your best Green Lanterns, number 36, page 15, panel three. You may be Superman plus Martian Manhunter. John, it's supposed to be a woman. I know, Even I know, sad. but it really made me laugh doing it just like Paul did. <laughs> oh. I can't do it. I get myself the giggles. Oh, my eyes are tearing up. You may be Superman plus Martian Manhunter by way of Selena Gomez... Now, but I, but I took apart your clone copies. It was God. It was nasty. On the upside, there you go, Johnny. That was multiple Johnny, readings. You read that too. I went in. I went cold. You can go cold, but you can lie. still look at the picture. It's a comic book. Yeah, yeah, but I went with. <laughs> She was grizzled and ready to fight with her, with her awesome sword. I am, I am so glad I, I passed it over for you to do the dramatic rating because I was going to go get my next beer and I like pushed away and I took my earbuds out and then I was like, (laughs) no, I'm going to put the, I got to hear what Paul does. And then I was like, well, I got to put my second earbud in and what is this ride that I'm on? Well, it's okay because. Because you know what, I need to go get my next beer too. So why don't we just take a light pause? We'll all go get our next beer. We'll center ourselves, and we'll come back for our main topic. All right. All right. I'll be right back. Chris, you ran off to get your next beer. What beer is it? It's your second of the night. Uh, John's third. 
He's laughing us, Chris. He's, he's laughing us, but I'm drinking, you know, big bottles from the Castle Church Brewery here in Orlando, Florida. Um, and this is their Brute of Vipers, a champagne IPA, uh, 8.5% ABV. Um, I'm not a big fan of Brute IPAs, but I picked this one up. Uh, it's good. It's got one of those, I don't know what the official term for it is. One of those, like, honey dipper things on it. You know, the little, like, the rib thing that you serve oh, honey yeah. with and yeah, commercials. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know what it's called, but it has one of one of those on the label. Um, and, yeah, it's very bubbly. Uh, very first thing I noticed is as soon as I poured it into my glass, uh, it foamed right up to the top, and I had to kind of do that, like, ooh, let me pick this up and sip off the the form real quick thing. But yeah, it's very light, very crisp, and it's just all nice crisp honey on it. I'm gonna take another sip quick. It just like coats your tongue. It's not my favorite beer that I've had from them of the uh well no five that I picked up. Um but it's delightful. Like there's nothing wrong with this. Uh it was a little bit of a cooler day here in Orlando. It was only like 70-something. Um, but I could see this being great for like a hot day out on the patio when I'm you know, reading comics or reading some Harry Potter. Like, I think this would be fantastic for that. All around, Castle Church Brewing. Hey, great showings. I look forward to stopping by and picking up more stuff again. Uh, so last episode, I had a beer from Three's Brewing. It was Dare to Know, and I loved it. I actually, like, the next day was, like, continuing to think about how much I liked it that I went back onto Untapped and rated it higher because it just stuck with me how much I really liked that beer. Uh, I also brought more of it home. Uh, but I'm trying a, another beer from Three's Brewing called You People. This is a double dry hopped Simcoe IPA uh, coming in at 6.66%. And um, this is a nice beer. Um, I think following OJ is a disservice to this beer. Um, because it has a little bit of a bitterness that I think is coming from the Simcoe. But it is nice. There's a juiciness. There is a bitterness to it. It's super hazy. Um, This is about a month old, which it shouldn't make too much. It shouldn't matter too much. Um, But it's... It's nice. It's got kind of a that nice like dry your mouth out um, IPA ness that you know used to get back in the back in the heyday of like doubles in those resiny IPAs. And I was I was eating some pretzel rods right before uh, we started talking uh, on the podcast, and I was like, "Boy, these pretzels are making me thirsty." And then I drank this, and I said. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Beer is making me thirsty. Uh, but yeah, it's it's nice. It's definitely something you don't want to follow. A really classic New England IPA that's really juicy. 
you don't want to follow one of those with this beer, but I think on its own to be sitting out drinking it, you know, sitting out on the porch or having it with some Chinese food or a steak, like it would be a really good beer to pair with those things. But yeah, don't pair it with a New England IPA. Don't do it. Don't do it. But something you should do is buy comic books. Yeah, however you can. You know, get out there, support your local store. You know, everyone needs all the help they can get during this time. Um, we buy our stuff online, but I always try to pick up all my trades and everything from my local comic book shop. Um, but today, we are doing all of our stuff online, as you as usual, um, since it's not a trading policy. And we're going to start off with my book for the week. And my book's a little bit more of a big boy, so uh, we'll probably talk about this for a minute. And this is the Robin 80th Anniversary 100-Page Super Spectacular. Uh, Robin is celebrating his 80th anniversary, much like Batman did a couple months ago, much like we'll have Joker doing in a couple months. Uh, But this is a collection of stories told by some of Robin's biggest writers telling stories kind of in their generation of the boy wonder. Um, All brand new content. Something that kind of struck me as I was reading this book out on my porch is like, is this a reprint? Because so much of it is evocative of those times and those books that I was picking up when I was a little bit more active with my comic book reading. It felt just like a issue or a short story that I would have read in a backup or in the pages of like some other anthology book that I had to do some research to see like, no, like this is, this isn't a reprint. This is a brand new story. Um, And what we have here, just to kind of set everything up, uh, we have uh, Marv Wolfman and Tom Grummet doing a Dick Grayson story. Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel doing a Dick Grayson Nightwing story. Devin Grayson with Dan Jurgens doing uh, Nightwing and the Teen Titans. Uh, Tim Seeley and Tom King with uh, Mikhail Janin doing a Dick Grayson Agent 37. Judd Winnick with Dustin Wynn doing a Jason Todd Red Hood story. Adam Beechin with Freddie Williams II doing a Tim, Bra- Tim Drake Robin. Uh, James Tinian IV with Javier Fernandez doing a Tim Drake Red Robin. Amy Wolfram and Damian Scott doing a Stephanie Brown Robin. Pete Tomasi and Jorge Jimenez doing a Super Friends uh, Damian Wayne story. And then uh, Robbie Thompson doing a Damian Wayne story as well. Uh, so they kind of hit... That's the only one that... Oh, I'm sorry. No. I was going to mention, that's the only one that actually leads into an ongoing... The, the Super Sons? Is that last one. Yeah. No, no, the Damian uh, Wayne uh. Robin, son of a bat. Son of Batman. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's the setup one. But Super Friend, uh, Super Sons is like an ongoing still, I think. I mean, I haven't read it since we did the number one, but... Uh, yeah, so do we want to go through kind of like one by one, starting off with the uh, Marv Wolfman, A Little Nudge? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, this is just a story of Batman and Robin on the prowl and Dick Grayson kind of just being Dick Grayson. Like he's there to help Batman do his own thing. But at the same time, like 
he, he's Dick Grayson. Like he's going to know that Batman's got this and he's going to do what he thinks is necessary in that time. Uh, and that's kind of helping a kid who's just been shot, you know? Uh, <clears throat> and this is again, the little nudge that drives him to become Nightwing. This is what sets him up. Yeah, And this is a great him. moment of, yeah, it's the, the last outing of Robin before he becomes his own superhero. And who else, who better to write this than Marv Wolfman, who wrote this characters in Teen Titan, uh, Teen Titans. And yeah, it's, it's a, at one, it's a great, it's a great story to start this book with. Um, but it also was just like a really good moment between the two and, Batman kind of being a dick to help push the bird out of the nest to fly on its own. But also like the stuff that he's saying, it's like, damn it, Bruce, say it, say it to him. Don't just think it. You, you, you yeah. jerk. Um, but no, this is probably one of my favorite parts of this book. And it wasn't till the complete ending because you are kind of like, man, Batman's such a jerk. Robin's so – like, Dick Grayson's so great. Yeah. Like, he's doing what's right. And that's always kind of like the thing that you like about Dick Grayson is he always tries to do what's right. And, I mean, this is someone who named them their son Grayson, you know? <laughs> uh, my wife said, what do you think about Grayson? And I said, absolutely. And she's like, why? And I was like, one of my favorite comic book characters. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, done, done deal. Uh, I really like the summary of the two characters yeah. that they do here, uh, which is Batman is out to seek. You know, he he, he lived a life of tra- he went through a tragedy, and he went out there to 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 avenge it. And Robin grew up where you know the murderer was already in jail by the time and it's right in the panel uh and he's there he wants to protect people so they never have to go through he's the protector uh i i love that summary i do feel it's weird as an you know for an editor to start off the celebration of robin book for 80 years to be like hey this is the story about how we grew out of being robin (laughs) like well i think that's the thing about this is it's telling the tales of the people that are Robin or have been Robin. Like it's, right. you know, there's also some pinups throughout this book too. And a lot of the pinups are pieces of art that were covers or variant covers for books throughout the years too. So a lot of them I kind of recognize from that, but again, one of them's even a Carrie Kelly from dark Knight returns. You know, we don't get a Carrie Kelly story, but it again, pays homage to What's someone Robin? that, has been a Robin, you know, over the past 80 years. Um, and I mean, Dick Grayson starts off as the first Robin and then became so much more. And that's really what I liked about this book is because I picked it up because I'm a, I'm just a Robin fan. You got that great Robin hat. <laughs> I, I've got a, a couple great Robin hats. Um, but... Uh, that's how much of a fan he is. That's yeah, how much I, I have a couple of great Robin hats. I have a couple of great Robin t-shirts. Like it's, he, he's my go-to. I've got like two, technically, I guess three Robin pages. Cause I've got a Robin annual page. 
a Red Robin page, and then a Nightwing. You got that great Nightwing. You got that great Nightwing hoodie that I bought you. I do have that as well. Um, So I kind of like that it did cover those grounds. Um, So much so that even our next story, Aftershocks, uh, written by Chuck Dixon, art by Scott McDaniel. And this is the one that made me be like, did I read this before? Because this is actually a Nightwing story that takes place during the Cataclysm, which was part of the Batman No Man's Land uh, big crossover event. And it seems so familiar because I've read and reread all of those trades so many times that this fits right in with all of that storytelling because it's from the people that told those stories. Uh, And then John, like you said, this is Dick Grayson being Dick Grayson. Like this is him at his like peak nightwingness. And it was great coming back to not this character because, you know, he's been one of my go-tos since we got back into reading comics in 2000, 2001, whenever it was. Uh, but just seeing him in action like this again, it was it was going home again. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, Paul. I felt, oh, no, go ahead. I sure if you were there, John. Oh, I definitely felt like it could have been in that cataclysm work, and I also I, I was to the point where I'm like, I wonder if this is a story they had in the drawer, like at DC Comics, and like pulled it out and just put it in here. Like maybe this was like. An interested like the beast head story to like maybe uh, detective comics where you know this would have been interspliced between what Batman was doing like every other page like that we would come back to this because it was only three pages long the story right um no it's more than that oh okay so, yeah I, I think these are all nine page stories I actually just listened to the uh, John Suntress interview with Judd Winnick, who does a Red Hood story coming up. Um, and he was approached to do a story. So this is all like fresh, like brand new, like, Hey, we're putting together this Robin anniversary issue. Do you want to be a part of it? But yes, it, it, it seems like a, in the, in the drawer story because yeah, it, it fits, it feels. Yeah. It just felt like, so of the time and even the, the art of it, I was like, "Oh, this is oh, this was sitting somewhere. This is they found this, and it was good. I wasn't upset by it being included. Like it made sense. It does tell the story of that character, and uh, I'm just surprised to see John and his wife in the back of that <laughs> cab. <laughs> well, that's it. That's just... Because of the thing yeah. you said early, just earlier, John. Yeah, like, no, I know. Three minutes ago, remember? That's good. Because he's like, yeah, name him, name him Robin. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like they captured the right people for the right the right writers and artists to capture those moments, you know? Even Judd Winnick doing uh, Red Hood. I mean, he's the one that did the big Red Hood series, you know, the, the, the Red Hood... Uh, Batman series, you know, Batman arc, and even that really good uh, DC direct uh, video movie, whatever, you know, like they pick the right people, and yeah, this feels like it's come from coming from Cataclysm. 
the next story feels like it's a Titans Titans book. Even like the hokey he was in the the suit the whole time thing. You know, like they captured the the people who were Robin. They captured their moments. I think the only thing like you were kind of missing and and you've already kind of filled everything was to have like Stephanie Brown as uh Batwoman to show how they stepped out of they stepped out of being Robin and became their own character. But again, they probably don't want you to remember that. Well, the fact that they even acknowledge Stephanie as Robin, I think, kind of works. Because during that period of the storytelling, like it just kind of happens. So seeing her, well, a lot of it's her going through those growing pains of becoming Robin. Um, but to see her like first night out being like, oh, this, this costume is not going to work for me. I'm a big Stephanie Brown fan, um, and I appreciated seeing those kind of moments with her. Um, sorry, do you not want to talk about any of the other? No, I was just—I was just making—I was just making a kind of a okay, point. No. I, I just thought. But, okay, well, since Johnny mentioned it, I'm now counting how many issues uh, or how many of these stories actually have a Robin titular in them, and how many feature a character that is not. Literally, Robin, and it's even. It's five and five. Because we got Nightwing in this one. We got Nightwing in the next one. We got Agent 37, Red Hood, then Red Robin. Well, isn't it... So we got five, nine, Isn't he... He's, Robin, there's two Tim Drakes, here. and I think the one's Robin, and the one's kind of more of a Red Robin. Yeah. Right. So there's five, five stories involving... A character that's no longer called Robin, and then there's five stories. That yeah, and I, I just, it just feels like or they're they're taking those moments of no. the people who were Robin and showing them all the different iterations of the character, and then you kind of get to Stephanie. All I'm saying is Stephanie Brown. You don't see her where she really became more of a character with with when she was, you know, a Batgirl. Was it Batgirl or Batwoman? I can't. Bat. Uh, she was a bad girl, yeah. But, I mean, again, like, a lot of the stuff as Robin thing is, like, just there to set her up as someone that can fail in the role. And then she kind of gets fired from it. And then she sets up, like, the next big Batman uh, crossover with, like, the war games and war crime stuff. Um, which, at that point, then she's back in the spoiler role, like... I think her time as Robin was meant to be brief, just to launch the next thing. Yeah, that's true. And also, you know what? Some people kind of have... Uh, I can understand some criticism of, oh, you know, this this character kind of came in and she was kind of designed to fail at their role, but I think... Some people you mean me, because that's just what I just said. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, I, continue. I'm trying to give you cover. I'm trying to give you cover. Uh, go ahead. Just go ahead, Paul. Because there's so many times that I've ta- like I've taken a, you know had a job where I was a little over my head with you know and it was it was difficult, but I found my footing and everything. And but honestly, I'm not in that kind of job role anymore. And but I've, I've you know kind of went off and done another thing and I, I've kind of found a, a good rhythm here and everything like like that 
So, like, failing at a role isn't the end of the world. You can take that on and become better, you know, or, you know, keep on going forward with your life. And I don't know if that's a criticism. Like, I think it's important to have those kind of, those stories be told because that's, life is messy. Life is hard. Life is tough. Life will beat you down. Like, but you get back up and you become Batgirl. You know, that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm, I want to get back up and become Batgirl. And I mean, again, I, I love Stephanie Brown and part of the failings of her is because she enacted a plan that Batman had in his, in his, uh, like playbook that would consolidate all of Gotham's organized crime under his control. But the only thing that didn't go right in the plan was matches Malone didn't show up to the, the meeting of the crime bosses because Stephanie didn't know that matches Malone is actually Bruce Wayne in disguise. And you know, that failings as much hers as it is Batman for not trusting one of his lieutenants with that information, you could say. Uh, but again, like I, I love Stephanie Brown. I don't know. I could, we could talk about Robin <laughs> shit all day. Yep, and we will. We will. Good story, team building. Man, if Batman, you know, actually trusted this team, you know, I actually really like this because it's that villain side of the beatdown, and then like, okay, guys, bring it in. What went wrong? All right, you're a bunch of imbeciles. There. Middle management evil. Uh, so good. Which this is the Devin Grayson uh, Dan Jurgen story, which is more of like the contemporary, like you get Arsenal, Tempest, uh, Wally West Flash, Donna Troy kind of area of the Titans. This is a good story, but probably one of my least favorite in the books. Um, just because that's not that's not my my Titans. You're, you're, uh, oh my goodness. Why am I'm a Jeff Johns, like Drake. Tim Drake, yeah. like Kid, like Impulse became Kid Flash kind of Titans. But no, I kind of like the O. Henry, like, oh, it was really, that we can discuss and he's just time. And he's just like, like I'm team. taking this, bye. And yeah. he's like, uh, my minions are not going to stop him. And he's like, <laughs> maybe you should have a pizza night. Bye. It, so it, it was that O. Henry, it was that kind of like, it was good. It's classic. I appreciate it, but I didn't. I didn't love it. It wasn't my one of my favorites out of the book. Oh. It's it's definitely up there out of my book because it is basically a let's go through what, what it's Hive goes in. I don't even know the character, the the main villain here that's running Hive at this point. They attacked, and they're like, he's like. Guys, why didn't you use the uh, the relics that I gave you against the team? And they're like, well, we tried, but, you know, Donna Troy attacked us, and we had the thing that, you know, dehydrates people, so it didn't work on her. He's like, you were supposed to take out... No, you were supposed to attack Tempest with that. Yeah, but Nightwing called out that he had them switch, and then, you know, what were we to do? It's like... Man. And then, dude, you were supposed to do the stabby-stabby to Donna Troy with the mystic knife to take away her magical powers. Well, we weren't going up against her. Uh, everybody, but why? 
wait, this isn't an alphabetical order. This tar- target list. Oh, so good. No, I mean it's it's a it's, that happen. Yeah, I mean it's so it's, I, it's, it's, it's I think fun, I liked it, but more. it's like hokey fun. I think I liked it more than the uh, Agent Thirty Seven one that's coming. The Agent Thirty Seven one felt long. Uh, it, it felt long, and there's nothing wrong with it because again, this is Tom King, or no, I'm sorry, Tim Seeley with uh, Tom King. Yeah, oh yeah, Tom King and Mikhail Janin. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sorry, I just couldn't get past like the point where it's like. Dick Grayson would have fucked that gorilla. Uh, I yeah. Like, <laughs> there, oh yeah. Pick. That was just like, that oh yeah. I'm gonna go fuck this gorilla. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, the things I did like is the it, it, that just kind of like <laughs> go, go go ahead. No, I, like again, like so much of this anthology book is just telling the tales of the Robins in those times. And that Mikhail Janin art, it just seems to have weight to it. Like, oh, they must have spent a, mo- a lot of money on this because his artwork is just so good and so clean. And I think it's just like the perfect melding of like the pencils and the coloring. It just looks so good. I really kind of like the flashbacks of like him, like showing the lessons of like Batman teaching Robin and then him utilizing and then giving the other person the lesson that Batman taught him. Like that was kind of the high points of this story where like the Batman and Robin and now Dick Grayson as an adult spy, like using those with hilarious outcomes. Well, the exact flip of what Batman, he was going to fuck that gorilla. He's going to fuck that gorilla. (laughs) It's like that. It's like that. Kids in the. Well, that's. It's like that. Kids in the hall sketch. Like, that's not just a bad man, son. That's Hitler, and he's fucking your donkey. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't want to know. Don't need to know. It's not for me to know. But there is that thing about Dick Grayson that he kind of got. He's like the actual playboy of the DC universe, right? Like Bruce oh, Wayne. Yeah. You know, the persona of Bruce Wayne is he's a playboy, but he's not in actuality, but Dick Grayson is a playboy. So, yeah, he would totally screw that. Yeah, and b- before we move out of Dick Grayson to the next Robin with Jason Todd, um, there's a moment when, uh, again, on the Word Balloon podcast, when John Centris was talking to Judd Winnick about just the stuff that he did with Outsiders because he wrote Dick Grayson in that. Uh, he just comes out and says, like, no, if you had to go on a road trip with any of the characters in the DC universe, you would probably pick Dick Grayson because he'd just be the most fun person to have along on that road. And I completely agree. I mean, him or Speedy. Yeah. Well, Speedy's going to get knocked up, get like high in the back of a trucker bathroom. And, you know, unless, he's gonna drag unless you want to get out. high with him. You don't want Nope. He's gonna, you're going to be missing teeth by the end of the trip. It's going to be bad. No. Dick Grayson, I can see being a lot of fun. Uh, it's if you go with Ollie or Hal Jordan, it's going to be a hard road. Um, Superman, you would have to walk everywhere. <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> trying to think of other famous road trip uh, comic book series. Um, well, it's okay. Because yeah. we got a, we got a bunch of other books to talk about, and a few more stories in this one. Because next we have that Judd Winnick, uh, Dustin Wynn, Jason Todd, Red Hood story, which kind of goes back and forth between his time as Robin and his time as the Red Hood, with him actually giving Batman a a birthday present. And I think this is a great story at showing off that just that kind of dichotomy of who Jason Todd started off as and where he ended up at. Um, I, I really dug this one a lot. Well, yeah, it's probably like my second favorite one of the, the book. I enjoyed that. It was like showing the characterization of uh, Jason Todd as a kid that wants to please his father, but just can't figure out how. You know, it seems like, oh, I'm giving him this birthday gift because that's what people do. I worked on this really hard. It was your dad's watch. I've kind of got it working. It's not quite right. Yeah, I can't find all the parts. Mm-hmm. Built some of the parts. Like, it's... I Here, I want you to be happy. I want to make you happy. I just, you know, can't quite do it. Like, that's what I took from this story. Um... And then Jason Todd, even though, you know, he's doing things his very own way, he's now, years later, given him this gift that is not working. And, you know, it's, it, it was nice. I was very, also very happy to see I didn't need to read another Jason Todd story afterwards. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's a character I just don't I like. think he works great when you're showing him as that counterpoint to everyone else. And showing just... Not how he's failed, but how different he's become. And I think this is a good example of that. Because it's not him like shooting people in the face being like, Oh, I'm the bad Robin because I died. That, I think that's easy to do. And I think this is kind of a more subtle, like reverential way of... Yeah, I thought this was a really good interpretation of the character, especially what they've done now where they've kind of softened him and he's not as angry at at Batman where he wants to be, you know, he's not the bad, you know, he's not the bad boy, but it's that, like, any time that he's shown up, like, was it um, Death of the Family and they're trying to, they're trying to do stuff and he's like, uh, Batman's like, Jason, I want to make sure that you're not using real bullets. He's like, man, I turned them to electric, you know, electric bullets as soon as we hit Gotham. You know, like, there's a new dichotomy of the character and and Batman and and Jason Todd, the anti-hero hero, more than Jason Todd, the villain. And I think this is a good touch of that, uh, of that character. I liked it. I think you're both right that Jason Todd's the best when he's not just a villain. He hasn't been he hasn't been a villain for like eight years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to clarify he he feels like he wants to please Batman but doesn't know how to. But Batman is just as pleased with 
broken watch than he would that he is is pleased to get it now. Like I think he keeps on seeking approval, and Batman gives him the approval, but he, Jason Todd never recognizes it that approval as actual approval, like that kind of feedback loop, where and then he rebels against it and then falls under, you know, goes extreme. I, but I, I, but that's kind of Jason Todd too, though, where it's like, I I want your love and attention, but I don't want your love and attention. I'm my own man. It's he's an interesting yeah. character, and I think you just need to. He's he's probably hard well, to also, write. Like that's also all I like think Jason to say. Todd was like what it was. He had one storyline where he was also like an acrobat whose parents were killed, and then when they did, uh, I won't keep wanting to say Infinite Crisis, but Crisis Chris on oh, Infinite Crisis Earths. On- then he yeah. was rewritten as the kid who stole the wheels off the Batmobile and they changed him. And I think it's kind of that line from there where they wanted to make him separate from Dick Grayson and he was kind of the bad boy Robin. And I think that's what people always kind of hated about him was he was nobody needed the bad boy Robin. And that's what... But again, I think if they had if they had stuck on that, like, original story, there wouldn't have been enough to differentiate him from Dick Grayson. At that point, why bother telling stories with him? So it's hard to have that discussion without being in that time frame and seeing those stories because I was, you know, 10, 20 years before I was born and started reading comics, like, I haven't read enough of Jason Todd as Robin outside of like the nineties when he was already dead, which is going to bring me to who my Robin was with a uh, Tim Drake. And this is going to be an Adam Beach and Freddie Williams, the second story. Uh, and this is Tim Drake being called into the principal's office because, Hey Tim, you're a great <laughs> student, but you don't really do anything. Have you thought about doing anything to, you know, f- fill up your uh, permanent record here? And it's kind of a fun back and forth with uh, I don't know if his principal or guidance counselor, whoever it is, uh, kind of having a discussion with them like, well, they like to see extracurricular activities. Have you thought about doing any of that? And then it cuts to Tim Drake beating up bad guys. It's It's kind of a fun Tim Drake story. Not my favorite in this book, but I think it's a good showcase of who Tim Drake is as a character in the pantheon of Robbins. Yeah. He's the smart intellectual. He's the detective Rob. He's the one that figures, you know, and they even they say it in this one? No, the next one they say it in. That he's the one that figures out that the identity of Batman and Robin. But in this one, he they, they show him, like, oh, science? Mm, yeah, science is kind of cool. I like it. And he's doing the, the microscope work and everything. So The same thing that they do with Batman, where like, oh, he's a great scientist. And it shows him <laughs> looking in a microscope. 
they, they, at least it, they, that's how you know, that's how you show someone's a scientist. In a lab coat, but they or put them in a lab coat. Duh. And they are dragons of science. Hey, that's that's John and me. Yeah. No, if nobody else can be uh, bubbers, nobody else can be dragons of science. Right, bubbers? That's how we made mix. That's how we made mixed drinks. <laughs> Now, does anyone else have any thoughts on this one? I like it's not it's not the best story in the book. I think it's pretty middling. It's not great. It's it's it, yeah no. That's this is probably the least my least favorite because it is just like oh we're gonna talk at you as the reader. It just felt very that there's no character development from the character itself. You know, it's just everybody saying something like. The most interesting part was when the uh, when the secretary or whoever walks in and says, "Oh yeah, his last guidance counselor thought that he was hiding something." Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, we got that already, but sure, like cool, like I don't know. It it felt like it was talking at me as a reader. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I agree. Much got to spend more time with uh, Tim Drake, so so that's cool. No, that's always cool, and that's really what I liked about the next one called Boy Wonders uh, from James Tinney IV with Javier Fernandez. Uh, and this is a more updated story because we have Tim Drake in the Red Robin role because in current canon, Tim Drake was never Robin. He was always Red Robin. Whatever. Um, but this is him... Kind of, again, almost like a little nudge where it's him coming to his own conclusions where it's like, oh, I've got yeah, this and role. I, I like like the moments with let, Dick let Grayson me go, on the let train me go find out and it. Dick Grayson's being like, I mean, you're smarter than me, but I could beat, I could beat you in a fight. Uh, uh, you know, I'm more agile than you are, but well, if I had time to prepare, I could beat you. Like, yeah, if you had time to prepare, but we were going to have a fight, I'd, I'd beat you. Like... Like all that stuff, and with Red Robin going through the different, you know, he's got his moment with Red Hood, he's got his moment with Damien, and like it's just a really fun read with someone who knows the character and the current character, like uh, James Tinian, you know. Yeah, and this was the lead up to. I do have to say, I love that. What's last that? Line. I didn't hear what you said, Paul. Sorry. Did... Oh. Oh, no, no. Chris, you were gone. Oh, no. I was going to say, um, so I'm not sure if I drop out or uh, run back. But, yeah, this feels like that lead up to the Gotham Knights book that we had with him leading it. Like, this is that untold chapter of the story. Uh, and as much as I love the Dick Grayson and Jason Todd stuff, I I always enjoy seeing Damian Wayne in the book that deals with other Robins because, yeah, he's a little shit kid, but he's also kind of the most straightforward, I feel. And just, I'm, I found the page just where he's like, let me guess, Richard told you to be some shining ideal. Jason told you to take what you can and run. And he's just like, hey, you should come to me first. I'm the, I'm the most honest one. And I, I love the relationship between all of these characters. And this is the only one in the book where we really get to see it. 
I like how uh, James Tinian basically writes how we all kind of felt there with uh, with Damien being like, dude, you were trained by Batman. You figured out something that no villain has ever figured out, his identity. You have saved the world multiple times. What do you, what should you do with your life? Whatever the fuck you want, man. <laughs> like you, you earned it. Like, do whatever. It doesn't matter, you know? I, I love that. It was like such a, and he's pointing the sword at him. It was a good mic drop moment. It was the most that I've liked Damian Wayne in the longest time. And I, I, I think that's, again, like of all the stories in this, you know, this showcases who Tim Drake is as a character because, yeah, like he was smart enough to figure out who Batman was. And then he had the skills to also jump in and become a Robin after doing that. Like, he's my favorite, guys. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys a question here. It's going to seem weird. Uh, so, like, what now, five years ago? Remember the scene where all the Robins were together and they were making milkshakes in the. Uh, before Court of the Owls really started, um, you know, vaguely, started this is when they the when they all kind of yeah. look the same. Yeah, they all kind of look the same, but they're all making milkshakes together. I would have been just as happy if there wasn't fight scenes in this. If they they're having if, a pancake breakfast, if uh, you know, uh, if Tim Drake was going, yeah, if Let's Tim see. Drake was going over and he's eating a pancake breakfast with. With uh, Dick Grayson and then going out for mimosas with or a beer at a bar with uh, Red Hood and then uh, getting a malt. Um, with, uh, I feel like that's not. I'm just as happy. I feel like that's not honest to any of these characters though, because I feel like them going out on the streets and fighting robots or you know criminals that that's where they're most comfortable. That's where they're most at ease because. You know, just that stupid, like, oh, uh, well, Bruce Wayne is the mask. Like, this is what they were all raised in. This is what they're all most comfortable with this. This is where they're most at themselves. You know, and that might not be true for Tim Drake as much because he kind of, like, came into that role. But, like, for, you know, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and then even Damon, who was way, uh, raised in the League of Shadows, like, this is this is who they are. Like, I feel like showing them just like hanging out at a, a bar or the breakfast table isn't, isn't where they would have and that talk. Like we have had like those. We, uh, I think Dick Grayson knows where the best slice of pie is. Well, I was just going to like, we, we, we have had that moment. I believe it's, um, it's Tim Drake and he's sitting on a patio with, with uh, Jason Todd and they're talking about Alfred. I think they're having, they're, they're eating something or they're talking about how Alfred used to make the worst waffles. And they talk about something like that. And like, uh, Tim Drake's like, you're not that bad, Jason. And he's like, no, I've never been that bad. You know, like you've, you've had these moments in books before. And this is just another one of those shining moments where these guys are all connected in a way and they all have like a, like a brotherhood. And this is a great way in this book to show the brotherhood of these Robins. 
All I know is I want to go find the best slice of pie in Gotham with uh, I imagine I'm Gotham pizza is awful. Especially since, did, did you just see that Buffalo is rated like some of the best pizza in the country? I believe it because on every corner there's a different pizza place. So there's probably like a higher density. So you got better luck yeah. in finding a really good spot. Uh, Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown, guys. Uh, Amy Wolfram with Damien Scott. Sorry, did I drop again? No, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, Amy Wolfram, Damien Scott. And this is literally her almost kind of like first night on the job. And originally, you know, when it's like got into comics and started buying artwork, I was like, oh, I need, need a Damien Scott page. I kind of forgot about him as an artist because I haven't read some of these early, um, like Robin or Batgirl issues in a while. But after seeing this, I'm like, fuck, I, a Damien Scott page would be dope on my wall. I, you know, this issue basically deals with the issue of Stephanie Brown literally fitting into the Robin costume. Like, she's trying to fight and, like, it's giving her a wedgie, like the chest area doesn't fit well because, you know, she's got boobs and the other things didn't. It seems like a gross oversight by both Batman and Alfred. Uh, because if I learned anything from uh, Batman Forever, Uncle Alfred has a suit ready to go for a Batgirl. <laughs> I mean, maybe not the, not the best way to, to base your Batman logic off of. <laughs> but you know but you know eventually she gets a 3D scan and uh Alfred 3D prints a Batgirl outfit or a Rob- Robin outfit for her and then what I but you know that kind of st- st- I'm going to call it just stupidity aside I did enjoy them going after Firebug or Firefly and then she's racing in. She wants because uh, that's who Stephanie Brown is. She she's over anxious to prove herself. Batman sees it as impulsiveness, and you know that's the main line of her character is like she, she's over eager. She wants to prove herself, and uh, you know, and she comes out on top. She figures out her own way to solve her own problem, which is great. You know, I I enjoyed that she breaks out of the, the chains. She sends the. Uh, roller coaster in, crashing into Firefly, not Firebug. Firefly can fly. Firebug doesn't. Um, yeah, and, 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 and she finds her own way, and they and Batman and her come on a uh, uneasy agreement about it. Like he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. You know what? Here, give you your own space. Take your time, and when you're, you know, we're gonna work on this together. It's good, not great, but good. I I just like seeing Stephanie Brown in stuff. I like that her hair becomes like ten times more volatile <laughs> really? when she becomes Robin. It's it's like she she uses so much mousse in her hair when she's like, no, I'm Stephanie Brown. Oh, time to be Robin. That's a mousse sound effect. <laughs> she lathers up. That's all I got. Maybe John's back. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Oh, but he 
You already talked about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we talked about this one a little bit before. So uh, I think it's safe to move into the next one, which is moving us into Damian Wayne with uh, My Best Friend by Pete Tomasi with Jorge Jimenez. And this is Jonathan Kent writing an essay about who his best friend is. And his best friend just turns out to be, you know, the current Robin, Damian Wayne, who, again, is a shit of a kid, but everything he says about Damien's true. Like he stands by him. He's always there. Like I buy the friendship between these two characters. Yeah. I was like reading this. I'm like, yes, nobody knows how to write Damien Wayne. So let's just have characters, another character talk about Damien Wayne <laughs> because boy, do I not like Damien. Well, again, I mean, this is Pete Tomasi. Who's, after Grant Morrison probably written the character the most. So I, I think he really does get him. I'd say Pete Tomasi, yeah. I think Pete Tomasi's done more for the character than Grant Morrison has done. Aside from Grant Morrison creating creating the character. Well, Grant Morrison... Yeah. But he, Grant Morrison also created the character to die. Like, he's, you know, there was an arc for the character. I, that thought. I don't know. I I really like Damien. He's not going to be like my favorite Robin, but I would probably pick him before Jason Todd. Well, yeah, but, but what like what know? books do I want to be shot in the hand? Well, okay, the even book? even at that point, I'd probably pick Damien as Robin over Stephanie Brown, and I just got over saying how. Whoa, but, no, okay. I, I just got. Now that's but again, that's she thing. just. She seems like she was put in the role just to do it for a brief amount of time so they could remove her from it. Nothing against Stephanie Brown. I love her. I just got through saying how much I love Stephanie Brown. I I think Damien brings something completely different to the the dynamic, though. I think you've had really great moments. Dick Grayson as Batman and Damien as Robin. I think those are great moments. I think there's those. There are some really good moments with Batman and Damien, where they just they don't see eye to eye. eye. One's trying to train the other. The other one's trying to have a father. And I think the um, having the the super sons, having you know, super, super basically you know Superboy and him together. I think they're a fun match. I think if you pair. You pair them together. You pair Damien with the right people, with the right writer. I think you have a good story because I think he is a, he is an interesting character. That he is this he's a he's a child who is an adult who's slowly having moments where he can be kind of a fun child, and I think those are kind of some of the fun moments that you get with the Superboys, uh, or the Super Sons. And I think there was some really great moments between Dick and and Damien. Well, he plays off of other characters, but that's the thing you gotta you gotta have him playing off of somebody. Otherwise, he doesn't work on his own. And the whole shtick of I know better than everybody else gets pretty old. And again, I think it, I think it's some of the things where like somebody doesn't know ex- they just don't know how to write them. And I just even that scene where it's 
it's the the super son sitting there and Damien holds up that he got an A plus to Jonathan Kent. You know, like yeah. and he's got like a he's got a Batman pencil case on his desk too. Like there's there's fun moments between the two. The two sitting on the like the roof of the building having burgers, like when you pair him right, I think it, it, it does a good job. It, it, he's an interesting character when you do it right. And he's a shit character when you do it wrong and you just write him as a shit character. Yeah. And talking about him being a shit character, we got Damien Wayne Robinson of a Son of Batman. Uh, yeah, Bat and Mouse, uh, written by Robbie Thompson, art by Ramon Villabolos. Uh, this isn't the the Damien Wayne that I like because I like the Super Sons Damien Wayne. I like the I forget the name of the story, but the Red Robin Damien Wayne. I like him amongst other characters being shit, but still kind of fun. And this isn't him being fun. Like this is him is like the counterpoint to Batman being with like, no, like you need to be a little bit more extreme with your justice. Like they're being extreme with you. Like, why would you respond with anything less than that? Um, I think this is more in line with that Grant Morrison. Well, even the art looks like, um, what's his name? Who did the Grant Morrison, some of the Grant Morrison art. Uh, Oh Yeah. Uh, Frank I mean, the like, art is so reminiscent of it in the face yeah. and in the cowl. It's not a bad story, but like you said, Paul, this is the one that's kind of leading into the new thing coming out. And it's not a bad, you know, Batman, Damian Wayne, Robin story. Like it, it works on a storytelling level where you get like the two sides as they're kind of fighting these robots leading up to something. But it's... It's that extreme justice, like, no, mind wipe them. Send them off to a village to do menial task and labor and just be done with them being a villain. It's like... Yeah, it's the the person writing Damien wrong. And there's a lot of people who have done that because... This isn't how this character's interesting. Like it's this is this is the exact worst representation of the character that we've gotten quite a bit. And that's what I think the majority of the Damien. I will agree wholeheartedly. Like So, yeah, I, I think this book ends kind of on a whimper. So do we want to do a uh, power ranking of the story? Uh, I think we, we kind of did it as we were talking through it. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, this not my favorite story, but I like that this is a, you know, Batman and Robin story in the Robin 80th anniversary book. Like, because we don't have a lot of them. I mean, Batman is a presence in it. Um, but. Again, not my favorite story, but also, I don't, like John said, I don't think this is the way that you show off Damien. I opened a fourth fourth beer. Anybody else? Uh, are we doing that? Because, give me a second, I will go grab another one. And since you guys are 
far behind me, I'll talk about my next beer, which is actually a cider. And I'm having a uh, Red Apple Bombshell from, uh, this is from Three Brothers Winery, which also does the uh, Warhorse Beers, Warhorse Brewery. But this is a peach, honey, lemonade cider. And this <laughs> this Ooh. cider is it's delicious. No, it uh, so that with bombshell they always have like a like the um the woman that would be like on the side of an airplane, the bombshell on that. Well, I, I, do they have a name other than bombshell? Yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, she's sure. dressed up like bombshell. a uh Georgia Peach from um League of Their Own. And this cider is really good. They, Bombshell makes some really good ciders. Um, but the peach really comes through. And, like, I have a strong peach tea, like, uh, connection. Because uh, my grandmother, who I was very, very close with, used to love drinking peach Snapple. Uh one, because I introduced it to her. Uh, but she used to always have it in her house, so I'd always go over and I'd have the diet peach snapple. So when this came out, I was like, well, I gotta grab one of these and try it, you know? It's probably gonna be good because it's from um, uh, Three Brothers, and it's really delicious. There's this really nice peach. You get the honey. You get the little tart from the lemonade. And then it just finishes again with the peach. Like it's a really, really, it's a really nice cider. Coming in at seven percent, sixteen ounce can. Um, just really delicious. And I'm probably halfway through it since we've been talking, and I've been trying not to chug it. But uh, this is a delight, uh, Paul. I highly recommend buying a couple of these for when it's a hot day and you finish mowing your yard or doing something outside jogging oh yeah this is going to be like that perfect thing to sit on the porch and drink the sweat the sweat drip sweat drip down you get this tart tart lemon that just finishes with this peach Mm. 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 I love it this is fantastic I'm bringing a four pack home uh, mm. Oh yeah. Beer. This is a delight. I should have when my wife was when my wife was down here, I should have had her try it, but I think I feared she would take it from me, so I didn't. I kept You kept a secret, you kept a secret. I did. You kept a secret, you kept it yummy. Safe. Chris, yes. anything that you would say is your precious? Uh, right now, I am drinking the Schoferhofer pomegranate beer. Sounds pretty fresh. Um, it's so just sweet and delightful. Um, I don't think I like this more than the grapefruit version of the beer that they put out, but it's just a nice, great, tart, crisp, drinkable beer. Uh, nothing to not like about it. There's not a lot to it besides deliciousness. Um, 
yeah, they're not mine. They're just hanging out in my refrigerator until someone else drinks them. But, you know, I got the okay to drink them. So, yeah, that's all I have until I make, I make my next beer run, which will probably be tomorrow. Because, hey, guys, I don't know about you. I'm not at work right now, so uh, my day is free. I'm going to I get to spend... I get to spend the whole day with my son. I'm on daddy duty. Hey. And you know who else is on duty? Wait, do you have a beer, Paul? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't. I speak up something else. It's okay. It's a. It's a throwback. It's a classic. This is the Great Lakes and the Fitzgerald Porter. Uh, my favorite porter. It's easy to get. I know that Rassler from that's an import from Dublin, but you got to drink. You got to get a good or fresh thing of that. Uh, the, mo- the most ubiquitous porter that I can find. That's just really solid. That is great. It's the uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Here at Edmund Fitzgerald. It's a nice, rich, malty, roasted. Uh, not overly smoky, but just it's more of a malty roast uh, porter. It's delicious. I highly recommend it. If you're going to do a uh, pot roast, you know, in a crock pot, and if it calls for, uh, you know, to put it a, a dark rich beer in it, I can, I would say, go ahead and use the Edmund Fitzgerald porter. Good price point for that kind of cooking with uh, beer, and also. Uh, after you're done with the pot roast, all that leftover kind of gravy, throw a little bit of a uh, cornstarch in it just to thicken it up. Great mm. pouring over fries for your food. Just the sand. The Edmund Fitzgerald is the base for a gravy. There you go. You know, what's not to love? I'm better than the BA test kitchen over here, guys. You know, just. just right? Just, uh, I'd have to say. Bon appetit. Maybe 12 years ago, 11 years ago, maybe a little, oh, probably longer than that. Um, Stovepipe Porter from Otter Creek was my favorite, was my favorite porter. And I remember, so good, it's so smoky. a great porter. And I remember like saying to somebody like, oh, this is the best porter. And talking at a bar, and then I remember <clears throat> the bartender putting down in front of me, I think a pint or a sampler, and be like, "You know, try that." And I remember taking that hit and going like, "Well, what what is this?" And he's like, "Edmund Fitzgerald, that's your favorite porter." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. This is this is delicious," and it's. It's probably been it have been years since I'd had Edmund Fitzgerald, but I've always it's I've always recognized it as one of my favorite porters. And I um probably about two years ago I was at a wedding and like they had like you know, Bud, Boston Lager, Corona, Edmund Fitzgerald. And I was like, well, if I'm going to have a beer, I'm going to have an Edmunds Fitzgerald. And I remember taking the sip of that beer and going, oh, old friend, where have you been? I, ha- I haven't had you in so long. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, 
Edmund Fitzgerald's so good. So good. If you like Yingling, if you've had, if you ventured off the Bean Coast, uh, Bean Path, and have had at least a Yingling Black and Tan, and you've enjoyed that, oh, buddy, do I have a beer for you? Yeah. And that's the great taste. I mean, a Black and Fitzgerald. I mean, like, uh, if you've had any kind of um, black lager, which, uh, or Schwartz beer, which the uh, black and tan is, yeah, you get the those nice roasty malts. It's uh, it's classic. No, who else is the classic? Mm. The ever-loving blue-eyed thing. From the fan... And uh, we read the Fantastic Four, Grim Noir. Uh... Well, is this an issue one, or is this just a standalone? It says one, yeah. but I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's a standalone, because at the end it's like, oh, read more of the thing in Fantastic Four number one, two, three. Yeah. This is uh, written by Rod Garney, uh, and also Jerry Duggan. Uh, art by Matt Miller. And this is a story about Ben Grimm, just, uh, re- just getting settled down in uh, his, his new relationship as being a married man to uh, Alicia Masters, the blind daughter of the puppet puppet master. Um, And he's having nightmares, uh, recurring dreams about this kind of demonic, kind of uh, weird... Who's haunting his dreams? As as Ben Grimm likes to call. Yeah, Ben Grimm likes to say. And uh, he's coming to feels, and he finally goes out to reach for help. And he goes to Reed Richards. He doesn't know. He goes to uh, the Sorcerer Supreme, who isn't there. But it, I think, so is that uh, it's a uh, Wong? Is that Wong yep. there? But it's not Wong. And uh, yeah, he, there he is, and he faces against uh, despair. Despair. He's kind of a a nightmare lord. Who feeds off of people's and their despair. fears? Or despair. And, uh, yeah, and then Ben Grimm kicks the crap out of him. As he does. Though I was very upset that he never says it's clobbering time. It, it seemed like a missed opportunity. But, you know, it was a... It was an okay read. It wasn't the best read, you know. But it's a nice Ben Grimm-centered issue. You get people. He says Yancey Street. You know, I, I was fine with it. He does say Yancey Street. Come up to number four, Yancey Street. Oh, I was hoping to have you know have something to keep my mind off of this because I'm not looking forward to going to sleep tonight. No, it's that you know, guys that just have to work hard and uh, do right by somebody. No. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoyed this book. Um, I thought it was going to be a little more like pulp detective story. And it was not that at all. Um, but I had f- I had fun with the book. I didn't expect much out of it. And that what I got out of it, I enjoyed. I thought the biggest thing was the art in this book really fit with how the thing was feeling and what was going mm-hmm. on and his nightmares. And I think the art helped this book out. If the art was any less... I don't think this would have been as an enjoyable book, but even like when the despair is dragging 
is dragging the thing along and he's just falling apart as stones and he just has a handful of stones that he throws in the well and then you see the entire thing you know you see the thing as all these rocks drowning like there's some really good visuals in this book and the layouts everything i thought really fit perfect the tone was perfect uh i really liked it i liked it a lot Uh, so when I first saw this book was something that we were reading, I was like, okay, well, Jerry Duggan's a decent writer. I know him from a lot of like the Deadpool stuff that's come out. And I was like, Ron Garney, I'm not a fan of Ron Garney art. And then right on the first page where you're in one of Ben Grimm's nightmares, I'm like, wait, who did the art for this? Because this is not Ron Garney art, because I was already brought in right from the get-go. Um, feel free to like Google image search Ron Garney. I'm just not a fan of his artwork. So, again, I don't remember who did the art on this. Going back. Uh, Matt Miller. It's a gorgeous book. And I think this is as detective noir as you can get with Ben Grimm because the whole thing it's done from his perspective. So all of the caption boxes you're getting are Ben Grimm's thoughts. And it's telling the story of him just not as Ben Grimm going through this, but, you know, looking at the situation he's in now retroactively with where he's been, I think it does it really well. And, this isn't something I would want to read a lot of. I don't think I would read a series or a mini series of this, but as a one shot, I think it stands really well. And I actually really wound up enjoying this a lot more than I thought I was going to, because he's not like a hard traveling detective. It's <laughs> him walking across yeah. the street. Like this is him being like, come back across the, the street. The same team was doing like, annual next year with the same kind of, premise or you know another thing centric book i would pick it up at the end of this i would pick up two if it was another kind of just a, a day in the life of the thing you know kind of a a, a thing I, I i liked this more than i thought i was going to and i didn't think i was going to like it three pages in because i was expecting more of like pulp noir book with the title. Uh, and I'm going to jump in, Paul, before you go, because literally I, I don't have much else to say. The only thing I didn't like about this book, the very last page, Fantastic Four are hanging out making hot dogs. Johnny Storm's <laughs> got him on a grill, but he's still <laughs> zapping them with his hands. Yeah, and they had no, the same thing. Him. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. If he if he got Johnny Storm, he could just hold him in his hands and like grill him that way. You don't have to like go through the motions. Paul, your thoughts? Uh, he preheated the grill. That <laughs> he just put that, the hot dogs on. I don't know. That's getting. He, he rotated. I'm not. I'm not going to make assumptions, but that looks like it would be a propane grill. 
right, right. He let them. They were out of really? propane. Oh, wow, it, ha- really? it happens. It happens. He's out of propane. You know I don't know how many times I okay. put a steak or something on the grill. You I go back to on. check it, and it's half cooked. And so you, what you do is you flame on, you get that, you get the griddle, you know, the the plate nice and hot. Do you really think Reed Richards would run out of propane? Would they be using like yeah. negative energy well, or Reed something? Reed Richards is definitely. He's do they say they're at the Baxter energy. Building? They might be on the roof of the Things Building. The Thing might have run out of propane. I mean, oh, that's that's possible because the building doesn't look that high because there's other buildings next to it. Yeah, Rosemary stops by next door. You know, everyone. Okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah. You got me. Okay, continue, Paul. And how's the thing? So and how's the thing going to know that they ran out of propane? You know, he puts his gravelly hand up against it and like tries Hello? to figure out if it's Alicia, full or Alicia not. She's got good hearing. It. She could hear if that was full or not. Like she could. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of like what you were saying, John, uh, about you know maybe an annual where we do another one of these. But I kind of want to see like, okay, we did Ben Grimm Noir. I would like to see Johnny Storm like in the like that '60s kind of surfer like movie vibe, you know, like the uh, boondoggy going out, you know, like a hot rod, hot rod Johnny. Yeah. Oh, he's raising uh, uh, slips. What's what's you know, the the you know, like one of those kind of stories? Oh, uh, you know Elvis Presley did one of those movies, Boondoggy. George, what's the George oh, Lucas movie before Star Wars? The car, movie. the car one. Oh, oh, uh, I can't think of it. Oh my god, I that's what well, I want to say. I want to say Red Hot American say. Summer. I know that's um, not it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, happy days, yeah, car, uh, hot rod car thing. Of, you know, yeah, that'd be, of, uh, that'd be fun. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I would want to see one based off of you know uh, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards, being that seventies, late seventies, early eighties, like sci-fi um, kind of thing, and um, maybe uh, Invisible Woman being like a. Uh, hmm. I thought you were going to say like a Leave It to Beaver. Um, you know, she's an invisible woman. Yeah. She's such, she's um, much more than that. The things yeah. I did like about this book is they make those blue eyes on every panel pop. And then in the one scene where they have, like, Alicia Masters, like, molding different things. Like, they have, like, the thing from, like, the 90s when he was, like, there was, like, an evil thing that had, like really pointed jagged rocks and then another one looks like the thing from the latest fantastic four movie we had like there's some fun artistic choices they did in this book and the art is what really makes this book and then the the panel that says like follow the thing and the rest of the team in the fantastic four number 20 and i look at that art and i'm like i i kind of feel like i wouldn't mind checking that out like the art really matches what I think the tone of the Fantastic Four should be. So I'm kind of interested in maybe picking up uh, issue 20 of the Fantastic Four, plus it's the Mole Man. Oh. Can't go wrong with a good old Mole Man story. Like, uh, with uh, the Invisible Woman, I'm thinking more like, uh, 
like Alfred Hitchcock, Rear Window, The Birds, like something yeah. like that. And if uh, like that suspense, not if if we're going to talk about Marvel books, let's talk about Doctor Strange number one, Surgeon Supreme by Mark Wade and Kev Walker. And this is uh, a new a new beginning for the Sorcerer Supreme, where his uh, he's made a deal with the, a demon, and his hands are back intact, and he's working fifty fifty as a surgeon in a hospital, and the Sorcerer Supreme, and he's trying to balance these acts, and uh, he finds out that the new person in charge of the hospital is somebody he believed to be long dead. And then there's an emergency happening, and all these people are coming into the hospital. And uh, at the end of this book is a big twist where you have uh, Wrecker from the Wrecking Crew with a new magical crowbar. Uh, and he's the one that's been wrecking everything, and he's able to defeat the Sor- Sorcerer Supreme. This book, I expected a little bit more out of Mark Wade. Up to the point when Wrecker showed up. And that's the point where this book kind of turned for me, and I was like, well, this is kind of interesting. I'd like to see maybe where this goes, but I'd probably pick it up and trade. I wouldn't pick up issue two. Uh, I think I would agree with you because so much of this is setting the table. It's Doctor Strange as the surgeon, which again, I haven't read Doctor Strange J- since Jason Aaron, the Jason Aaron Chris Pacello arc that was coming out. Like, yeah, it was a couple years ago, like issue three or four of that. So I didn't realize that he just became a surgeon again through some happenstance where he, you know, made a deal and got his well, like, we read, the full use I of think, his hands back. I think for a look back, we read so, one where Loki was Sorcerer Supreme and Doctor Strange was working in a a veterinarian hospital. Oh yeah, that's right. But I agree. I agree like that's true. the Jason Aaron run uh, like really solidified but, what I want out of a Doctor Strange book. And it's 13 pages in before you get him actually going to, you know, this crisis site where the buildings are falling and you get him being the Sorcerer Supreme, not Surgeon Supreme. Um, And again, yeah, that's right where it kind of brought me into it the most. Where it's Doctor Strange not just talking about himself, it's him doing things. And at that point, it's a little bit too far into care and there's nothing wrong with the book. It's not bad, but a lot of it just felt like, okay, here's who Dr. Strange is for people that are picking this up because they don't know. But at this point, I feel like a greater number of people know who Dr. Strange is because of the movies. Like a lot of this could have been, figured out within the first three pages, not the first 12. Like my mom knows who Dr. Strange is because of the movie that slowed this book down. And I think that was to his death. I agree. 
Paul? Did Paul get up? No, I'm here, <laughs> but I really have nothing to say about this because I, I just don't get Doctor Strange like carrying a whole book. Like I like when he shows up as part of a team, but here, okay, so what's the point of issue? What's going to be like the whole part of the series of him trying to balance this, really? Because you know, even the opening scene is like him being a doctor, but it's about the demons that are attached to the people's heads, and he's got humor there, but he's not going to use the magic because, ooh, I don't want the patient to pay the price because magic comes at cost. I don't... I don't know. The Wrecker stuff was great because, you know, what a sl- what a sl- uh, schlub to take on uh, Doctor Strange, but, you know... I got nothing. In the art, I didn't really like the art. I, I felt like the faces kept on changing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I don't think it's bad art, but I can definitely. Now that you said that, I can. I can it's get it. um. If it was it's, to go key, I want to know which one was Doctor Strange. He looks Asian in some panels. It's a mix of like um. Who's oh man. John Romita Jr., and then somebody who's, like, really cartoony. Like, it's a mix of those two art styles. And, like, I like on some pages, I really like it, and then on some pages, I don't. But, yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah, flipping back through it, I, I can see that. Because, like, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then, like, the next page, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's like the John Romita Jr. Like everything's like really squashed and flat. Chris, looking. who did Crimson? Like everyone's like, it's uh, yeah, Humberto it's kind Ramos. of it's got a little Herberto Ramos esque. Like I don't know if it's the coloring or the cartooniness of it, but it's like if those if him and Romero Jr. had a baby. Mm. And also didn't like to drop. <laughs> I mean, that's everybody. If I was comic book artist, I would do whatever I could to not have to draw feet. I mean, it's not a bad book, though. Like, it's no, like I would, I would. If the trade was okay, on sale, I would pick it up, mostly because of Mark Wade's name on it. There's so many books and so many things that Mark Wade has done. And sometimes you just got to give them a, a minute to set it up. And I think that beginning of this book was the setup and the payoff is, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, the record beating the schlub villain that shouldn't have a chance against him beating him. And what is, what is the cost to him by using this new magic crowbar? Who's the villain behind this? Like, are you going to give Mark Wade? You got to give Mark Wade credit. You know, it's Mark Wade. He, he's done so many great things. Yeah. And uh, another writer who I'm going to give some credit to is Tom King with uh, his strange adventures with uh, Mitch Gerald's. 
who I love this team over on Mr. Miracle, and now they're going to bring the same treatment to Adam Strange. And this is Adam Strange split between what he's done in the past and what's happening currently to him. So you kind of have these flashbacks of him in these strange adventures on this planet trying to save it. And then him now on Earth selling his book series, a book of his exploits. And how this current world is responding to it. And as much as I loved Mr. Miracle, as much as I, I, I really enjoyed Vision... I don't know I don't know where I fall on this book. If it takes me reading issue 2 or issue 3 to really connect with it cuz even like Vision by the end of that trade I was still on the fence until we read the the second the second volume of that where I really really enjoyed what he did with that. But this is uh I don't know. This one, I'm, I'm. I don't know if it feels See, like he's the same thing he's under those other two characters. He just grabbed another character and is trying to make it ed- uh, edgy or. <sighs> Paul, Paul, do you want to start off, or do you want me to go? Yeah, with this one, he does seem. But then again, he, he is seeming a little edgy. But I think it is trying to meld that comic book convention, hey, these are the fans coming up, and, like, his experience with that. And also him, like, trying to come to grips with, you know, the war on terror. Like, and what America's place in that is. That there are quote-unquote heroes that aren't necessarily heroic. Um, and our national need to find heroes in these uh, moments of be a struggle and I, I my favorite part of this is him like being like oh no I'm I'm in some shit here I'm gonna go to Batman and be like dude here's my laser gun you can prove that I didn't do it I didn't do this and then Batman being like you know what we're too close man like we're too everybody's gonna be like oh they're in the Justice League together there's you know what Batman's could just cover for. And then that last page. So good. The Mr. I, Terrific. So good. That's what, that's what hooked me. So what Yeah. Paul's <laughs> a Justice Society fan if you just started listening to us. And also because this is the first time in so long that we had a Mr. Terrific with a classic you know uh jacket. Which was you know then this is not in continuity. Side. You know? Who cares? I need some actual, actual real Mr. Trick. So what got me about this book is Tom King has proved himself to me. And him taking an interest in us, you know, like C or D list character like The Vision or Mr. Miracle or now Adam Strange means like, okay, this is going to be an interesting story because he kind of has that freedom to tell it how he wants because he's not going to have to worry about ruining 
public perception. Um, and a lot of the story, it's just, it's Adam Strange at a book signing and in his private life. And you're getting flashbacks to the story that he's telling in his book. But the flashbacks are happening through his eyes of him telling the book. So I'm just trying to get to a page where, yes, okay. So sidebar dramatic reading of Adam Strange, issue number one, page seven, where it's, Alana, I can see them now with my own eyes. An endless sea of perked murder men heading toward the castle. I'll try to fight them off. Everything that you're seeing him have written in his book is like, yes, I'm the hero of this story. And then the whole crux of it is someone that had issue of the book or his telling of the book winds up dead. And now it becomes kind of that murder mystery. And it becomes apparent to me at one point, like he's on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and his wife's like, Oh, you know, everyone wants you to run for office. People are calling you for interviews and he's holding up his hand and he's like making pew pew sounds with it. And in those tellings of the story, he's, you know, the sound effects are very like kabam, pew, pew. And that's where I kind of like the break in the storytelling between those two moments, because so much of this is like, yes, Adam Strange, hero of Ren, hero of America. Here's a medal. And then it's him just being like, oh, fuck, like, what do I do now? Like, everyone expects this of me. That's what I really like from. Yeah, and I think I'm in a little bit of a Mr. Miracle because it was such my favorite book for two years. I was so deep. I loved it. Every week it came out, I was like so into it. And now I got another book that's, it feels very much the same. And I think it's one of those things that, like, oh, he's just doing the same kind of thing again, but with a different character. But if he did something different, would I be as complaining about it? Like, that's why I feel like I need to get into this more and let it kind of absorb into me because I don't think, Chris, you didn't finish Mr. Miracle, right? Yeah, I haven't, but I haven't finished a lot of comics. And that's nothing on the story. Yeah. That's just me and my life and where I'm at because I, I'm still interested in that book. And, I think the closest thing for me to compare to, because that's what I read all of, would be Vision. Because I picked up, yeah. not it's only two trades. It's not like it's a long storied arc, but like this compared to Vision, you don't need to sell me that much on Vision as a character. But Adam Strange, like after this one issue, like I'm, I'm in. This is like a story that. I, I want I, to know more about. Like, I think I waited like four or five months to read the last issue of Mister Miracle because I didn't want it to be over. Like, I enjoyed the book so much, I was liking it mm-hmm. so much that I was like, "This last issue either makes or breaks the series for me," and I don't want it to kind of end and have this ending. And then when I finally did read it, I wasn't happy with how they ended it. Like it just, 
everything that from beginning to now the end, like everything up until issue 12 made sense in the book. And then issue 12 was like, uh, maybe it's just a dream. Maybe he's dead. I'm going to give you three conclusions for you to maybe make your own assumption about, but nothing fit into the dark side is like, there was something solid throughout the whole book, and then that last issue was like, make your own conclusion. It could be any of these, or maybe something that you believe. And that really ruined it for me. And I think that's why I'm having this hard connect with this book. I like where it could be going, but at the same point, I don't feel like I want to get invested in it because... I don't want a non-ending ending to it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this book is the start, a, a great take on... Uh, you guys remember there was this uh, science fiction kind of show... Sliders. Uh, ...on Fox. It was basically Cowboys and Quantum Space. Leap. No, no, it's like uh, Cowboys and Farscape. Did you... No, Did you hear me say Quantum Leap? Lex. A guy that was a fish out of water. Yes, I heard you. Where, where, did, it, where did Quantum Leap air? Uh, no, but closer. Do you know? I thought CBS. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, no. The Lone Gunman. I know nothing. Uh, Millennium. Closer. closer. More. Yes, that's more rustic, more cowboy. Uh, with... With uh, brown coats. Oh, that was on Fox. Um, um, and Orville. This war and everything. Ooh, closer. Alcatraz. Um, Fringe. I think it was Alcatraz. Called, uh, Firefly. Firefly. J.J. Abrams. A- Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah. You guys are naming a lot more serious than I know. Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. I just looked up uh, Fox sci-fi shows. Because I knew where you were going oh, for. I do right away. But I didn't want to get there. I well, I I said I set it up for the gag of what, and you guys ran with it. The visitors. Um, I was expecting two or three like sliders. That was a good pull. Um, then you went with Quantum Leap for some reason. Simpsons. Uh, but no, Firefly. Uh, and the, we all remember the episode Jane's Town. Yeah. Which is probably the best episode. Talking about like Jane. And I feel like this is that kind of story about how we take events that happen. Okay, so you're saying this is fake news. Folk hero. Well, no, it's it's not so much fake news, but it's okay. We're, we're seeing, and you're, we were saying, Chris, about his being like, oh, I must go and defend, you know, it's his telling of that story. It's the the mother's telling of Jane mm-hmm. being like a heroic person that, you know, he felt pity for the poor mother, so he dumped the payroll upon, you know, uh, the the uh, the people of Kenton. And it's basically like that. Like, it's his telling of, like, no, this is... And it's true. Like, those things did happen. But there's also another perspective and not truth. He's a semi-reliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and like that all 
I mean, uh, we'll probably wind up doing power rankings, but this is, you know, a upper favorite books from from the past couple of months for me. I, I really dug it, John. If you don't pick it up, I I will give you the Bagnabor promise of like I'll I'll buy this. I I really yeah. dug it. Like I said, I'd probably give issue two or three. You know, like I'd give it two or three. I'd give it a three three issue try. <clears throat> okay. Well, did you pick up number two yet? Because I. I, I don't, don't have access to your comments, so I don't yet. know what you are reading currently. Okay, I'll, I, I'd pick up number two, like, and you know, we can have that as a side conversation. No, I'd, I'd read I, it. I'd, I'm interested in it. Like, I, I don't would, know if I would buy I would after read it after that. We could like, continue talking about it. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, just you and me as friends, <laughs> like, have those conversations. Yeah. And uh, while Paul's excuse himself, uh, we'll talk what about do you my last about? book, uh, The Last God, book one of the uh, Felispire Chronicles. And this is uh, from DC Black Label. And this is uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Ricardo Federici. And this is a fantasy story sword and sorcery fantasy about a different world where there's different races and beliefs on this world they all have a belief on the beginning of the world and with the ferrymen I think where they're called uh, have this belief about the steps where their king went up and defeated these zombie-esque care, uh, creatures, defeated him and has ruled for 30 years, where he has then become the evil god that he had said he had defeated, but maybe had defeated him in a way that he had embodied him for a while. And now it seems like these characters are going to be, new characters are going to be fighting the same war that he fought 30 years ago. And this book is actually supposed to tell the story between the first adventure and this new adventure coming through. And uh, I think the book is beautiful looking. Uh, I actually really enjoy this. I've been for, for the last couple of years... I've been trying to find a really good sword and sorcery book, uh, a novel or anything, and I haven't found it. And I, like, I really enjoy this. And as, if you're listeners or if you're Paul and Chris, you know that I keep picking up Conan the Barbarian books or books like that trying to get a really good sword and sorcery, sword and sandal kind of book. And I kind of, I enjoyed this book, the the look of the book, the feel of the book. I really liked it. So when I saw on our, you know, Google Doc that you had picked up The Last God number one, my first thought was like, oh, it's another Jason Aaron Thor book. And then I saw it was a DC Black Label book, so I was like, Oh, so it's 
like a one woman thing. And then I clicked on it. And I'm like, who's that on the cover? So then I hit the like, Oh, what's this about? And I was like, Oh, so this is its own standalone thing, which kind of surprised me from DC black label. Um, this is the book that kind of took me the longest to get into, but that's because it's the newest of the book. It's not based off of something that I kind of had a preconceived notion going into. But I think it's a great, like, sword and sorcery, like, intro. Like, again, kind of like uh, Doctor Strange. It's a lot of setting the table because you need to learn about this world and all these different characters that they're kind of introducing you to. But once it gets going, it's it's really interesting. And I kind of want to, excuse me, hiccups. I kind of want to see where it winds up going. I'm also with, I am in agreement with both of you. But I do want to give this summary. The Fellowship of the Ring fight an, the Lovecraftian horror and end up siring Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Watch what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a. It's that's that's what I got. <laughs> like, and it's good. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> like there was one page though where I'm like, where there after the Queen is like, no, let him fight sixty more. You know this and he's talking to his buddy well right before he starts talking to his buddy and they're like apparently they're getting sold off you know for the night to be you know entertainment in another way to the ladies of the court and I'm like oh we're going to do that it's black label so we're going to have an obituary like sex scene here for no reason and I'm happy it didn't happen I'm like because it seemed like just alright no and nope it just keeps on moving the story keeps on going like that didn't happen. So kudos for having some restraint. Yeah, and like, writers. like Chris, like as you're saying, like uh, it took me, it took me a couple panels. It took me into the king walking away and then pulling open a shirt and then being like, yeah, not now, and then going like, oh, he's he's letting the evil loose. He's He's a lie. Like, he said, hey, he beat this thing, and he's been this ruler when he was just a warrior. And then the most interesting character is the the slave who's won 60 battles, and he's in the gladiator pit, but he's never killed his opponents because they were so beneath him in fighting style that he didn't feel worthy of actually killing them, of just beating them. Like, he's an interesting character. And then his friend who's like, that's bullshit. The queen's an asshole. Like, you should have gotten your freedom. They shouldn't have let you do that. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, you say... <laughs> we're we're going to run away now. Like, you say anything bad about the queen chance. again, I'll fucking kill you. Like, it's an interesting character to see where these are going to go. And even, like, setting the table... They give you a glimpse of like, oh, this character's like an elf, he does this. This character's a wizard, they do this. This character's this, they do this. Like, they still like don't give you exactly like what all the races and are there, you know, the the dwarves, the elves, the this, the that. 
like why exactly he wasn't given his freedom. It had something to do with his ears, but we're not a hundred percent sure. Um, this is the thing that like I bought this book. It's been sitting in my queue, and like when we read this for this thing, issue two was there. I bought it. Like it was instantly like I came to the end. It was there. Clicked on it and bought it because I was like, yeah, I'm I'm in for issue two. And I didn't read it today because I had to read that Robin book, but also I didn't want to talk about a book. I hate when we talk about books and we've already read the second issue and we're talking more about the second issue than the first issue. So I was like, eh, let's just talk about God kill or uh, yeah, God, God slayer. Number one, last God, number one. Um, God. Yeah. The art was great. I think everything just fantasy, sword and sorcery, just really great about this book. And I think it's the first thing from from uh, DC Black Label that I've actually really enjoyed and bought the second issue of. <laughs> I honestly didn't realize this, it was this could have been image. This could have been yeah, dark horse. Like, like that's I, I like I thought it was some dark horse or some bullshit image. Oh, well, and Paul, yeah. you had stepped away because that was my thought. Because when I saw this was a DC Black Label book right at the beginning, I was like, "Well, it's not tied into anything. Like, I'm not seeing any Batman dick in this. Like, what's <laughs> what am I reading here? Um, and again, like." It's a Vertigo book. No, but that's that's the thing. Like, it's put out by DC, but it reads like anything else that you would have gotten from someone like, you know, Image or Dark Horse or Boom. Like, it's it's not a DC book in the respects that it's not like you know any of the Big Seven or any legacy characters spinning off of like it, Batman. And Superman, if this was Wonder a Vertigo, um, if this was a Vertigo book, it's the really art good. Would be seven times less. Like it's it's the art. I agree, and it also probably would have been it would have been written by Brian uh, Wood at that point. But like, yeah. nothing against Brian Wood. I love all his Viking the, stuff. It's, it's the he, mix he's got a of style, the, the art and the story that that it just both of them deliver in this, and the you know the art can capture what the writer's trying to portray. And the writer's portraying a good story, so like they just work so well together. And uh, so I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, or if you have the information handy. Is this like a ongoing, or is this like oh hey, three or four issues and some? Because I I hadn't heard about this book until I. I, I think I know as much as you is what the, the summary description for okay. the first issue is like that's i think where i saw it as like looking through going through it i saw the cover i clicked on it i saw that it was going to be a story that followed you know an elf a bard a dwarf a warrior but it was going to be told between the past and the present on each of their adventures. <laughs> Excuse me. Four beers and I got the hiccups. Uh, and that's, and that's okay, what we're kind done. of like drew me towards like 
buying it and I clicked on it and I looked at what the art looked like and I was like, man, that's a cool cover. The art looks really good. I'll put my four ninety nine in. And then issue two was also four ninety nine. And I'm not buying any other books right now. Like that's not true. I bought two other books with this. But I was like a four ninety nine, this Oh uh, uh, issue two okay. I bought today with uh Transformers Terminator and uh the first volume of uh Sweet Tooth because it was on sale. I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. Um on a podcast I listened to, the guy said uh Transformers versus Terminator was a fun read, so I was like, Yeah, I'll grab it, why not? Um maybe next month we'll read it. Uh but yeah, I, I thought this was just a really it it delivered on all fronts. I was very happy with it. Do we want yeah. to do power rankings? Because yeah. I can go. Classic. Hi, uh, my number one book, uh, Robin, 80th anniversary, because there's so much to it. A lot of great brand new storytelling. You know, some of them are middling or not great, but for the most part, I think it's a great retrospective on Robin as a character. Uh, my number two, Strange Adventures. I'm I'm really hooked into what happens next. Uh, three would probably be uh, Grim Noir, just because I appreciated and enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was going to. Um, but I would be more likely to read the next issue of um, The Last God before a Grim Noir number two. Because it was an interesting world that you just kind of get thrown into. And I wasn't expecting that. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Uh, very last, though, uh, Doctor Strange, because... It's another Doctor Strange book, but there's not a lot there to, like, hook you on it. He just reacts to it. I don't know. Alright, so I'm going to go uh, agree with Chris. Uh, Robin, 80th anniversary special. My number two is going to be Fantastic Four, Grim Noir. This is a one-shot. It was just kind of fun. It was just fun to see him Grim uh, battle something different. Uh, then... I'm going to go Last God, which I think is surprising, but I thought it was cool. It was uh, that it set up a world that was fan- basic fantasy tropes in a different way, that they were able to fold in like a Lovecraftian horror kind of uh, old god, basically, uh, into the story. And also give us Conan the Barbarian again. Uh, then Strange Adventures, and then number six. Like, there's all the books I didn't read, and then Doctor Strange, just because I, I, they they don't make that character fun. They, they, I think I'm gonna go. Jump. I'm gonna go Last God number one, only because I've been desperately trying to find a sword and sorcery book that no. keeps my attention. Then it's gonna be Robin, um, just because I mean the Robin is a, it's a one time thing. It capitalizes on something that I really love. I already have that af- affection for that character or characters. Um, 
Mm-hmm. John, John, sorry, jumping in. So it capitalizes on it, but did it sell you on it? Yeah, but if they were going to put like an issue two of like a Robins and it's going to do the same thing, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably buy it, but I probably would sit on it forever to read it. Where Last Gods number two, I'm going to read after the show is over. Um. Hmm. So if if all comics became that anthology books, like we were saying, they might become after this, and there was a Robin issue out. I would buy it. Would you buy it? But would I read it? Or if there was like a sword and sorcery anthology, would you I read that I think I'd first? buy them both, and depending on the first issue, uh, I, it depend on what I would go with. Like I'm not uh, the sword and sorcery anthology. The rest of it is just Brian Wood reprints. Mm. And also, there's like three stories about the people that they battle are people that with that have iPods. iPods. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I like. I <laughs> uh, you had us read that book. <laughs> Don't you dare say it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it was the Green Valley. Hey, Green, Green Valley. Green Valley was Green that Valley. Green Valley was good. Green Valley was good. That was Cliff Chang, wasn't it? No, it. Uh, Who did the art for that? The yeah, like ba- the, the bad guy was oh, time no. traveler. Like it was a fun like sword and sorcery, but also like the wizard was actually yeah, from the, the future and he had a time machine. It, yeah. and it wasn't sort. Uh, <laughs> I was just happy that thing happened in Last God. I, I I. The guy rips open his chest. I've had I've had okay. years to love Robin books and Robin and Nightwing, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake. Like I have followed these characters for years, and I love them. And of course, I would love and like an anthology book celebrating that character. I've also been dying and chomping at the bit for a sword and sorcery book. I got one that I really liked. I'm going to put that number one because uh, Robin's already number one in my heart. My son has a Robin framed picture, a Nightwing framed picture hanging in his room. He has a Nightwing shirt. He has a Robin shirt. He wears, you know, I have him wear that on top of all the other comic book shirts I have him wear. Like, I love both of these things. And the one I got a lot more out of, which is Robin, that I have... I have those Bullhaven stories. I have Tim Drake, his Robin series. Like I have them in Batman books. Like I've had, I've had a plethora of Robin love throughout my years. But I find it very hard to find a good sword and sorcery story that I can stick with. So when I get something like this, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cherish it a little bit more. Uh, so that's why, Last Gods number one. Robin number two. I think I'm going to go Grim Noir number three. Strange Adventures, as much as I will continue reading it, number four. And then at a distance, the Doctor Strange book. All right. So was we're the worst. All in agreement. Doctor Strange. Wasn't that right? But it's not, it's not bad, though. It's not like it's, uh, like, oh, this book's terrible. Yeah, it's just. I, I would read more of it, 
but I wouldn't buy issue two. I'd buy yeah. the trade on sale. And and guys, guess what? what? Oh. No, I was gonna say and. I was gonna. No, no. We're gonna keep doing this, aren't we? Nope. <laughs> okay. And buy our tri- uh, trade. And by that, I mean rate and review us over on the Apple iTunes. Or wherever you listen to us. Whatever it's called now. Uh, or wherever. Oh, Fuck you. I, was I thought you were really it. selling that Apple. <laughs> or wherever you ra- or wherever you listen to us. It's fine. And, Paul, you had something to say before I uh, cut you off. No, that was pretty much what I was going to say, unless you're a time-traveling wizard. Who has an iPad? You know I'm not. I, I mean, I do still have an iPad. I have an iPod in my car that I don't use. Then rate us and review us over on iTunes because you still have that downloaded because you're a time traveler. Other uh, than that, you know, and uh, like us on Facebook, Twitter. Hey, guys, we got a Twitch. Channel. We do. Bag and board. We've never used it, but it's something that I set up because one night I was playing a lot of games on my computer, and I was like, eh. This is free. I might as well. I could stream at some point. Um, yeah. You can do that. And is our next episode, do you want to do yeah. Age of Ultron? Yeah. Okay. Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. The next part of our great Marvel movie retrospective. I don't know which part it is, but yeah, we're up to that point, guys. 11. I'm probably going to watch it now because we've got the rest of it. going to watch it tomorrow. Why not? And it's Disney Plus. 